Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review the new beginning in Osaka and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea Store com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, happy Valentine's Day Eve. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever, uh, you know, uh, basically greeted me that way before. <laughs> uh, how you doing, man? Oh, uh, I am um, all better from the COVID. Thanks for holding the the, the fort down while I was out. Um, listen to the show. Um, I think I could have done better, but uh, you did a passable <laughs> job while in my absence. So, you know, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, fun episode, uh, getting ready for, you know, preview new beginning in Osaka. So, yeah, I mean, we got tons of stuff to talk about here tonight. Uh, new beginning in Osaka, we got Fantastica Mania, we got a bunch of questions. Um, so, I mean, we don't really have to talk about Fantastica Mania. They got Nazi salutes, and other than that, <laughs> there's not much going on with that show. So, yeah. <laughs> but before we uh, jump into our new beginning in Osaka review, we got to do the January Wrestler of the Month match of the month. Saved it for when you uh, came back. So January's in the books. We're in the second week of February. Young boy, why don't you tell the people who our wrestler of the month is for January 2024? You know, there were quite a few candidates that could have definitely been considered the wrestler of the month this month. But uh, 
we we have to be unbiased. It doesn't matter that he's leaving the company. Doesn't matter that people are sick of the never ending, you know, three day Okada finale tour. Um, he is the wrestler of the month, and this is uh, primarily based on the the body of work that he did, which was, you know, if, if you you're talking about somebody really maybe they didn't put anybody over on the way out but uh they did some big business on the way out i mean you look at the match with brian danielson in the tokyo dome you look at the match in san jose with uh will osprey plus the the fantastic multi-man tag match uh at the new year's dash and then couple that with the six-man title defense um you know which was a, a again just another in a string of highlight you know, title defenses for Team Hall of Fame slash the Dream Team. And uh, yeah, Okada had one hell of a month in January and really went out on a high note. Yeah, really great month for Okada. And yeah, I know normally he's a guy that as great as he is, he doesn't always win these Wrestler of the Month awards because normally he has like one big match or he's in between feuds and doing a bunch of multi-mans. But yeah. Really great month for him, and for the match of the month, it's going to be the Wrestle Kingdom match with him and Brian Danielson. Uh, this match highly, you know, raved and reviewed across the board from multiple people. Uh, you know, big scores from Dave Cage match. Uh, funny thing is, I don't think that was either of ours like personal favorite or highly rated match. From Wrestle Kingdom or January at all, but I think right. just when you look at the reviews from across multiple outlets, across fan feedback, I think it's hard for us not to go with Danielson and Okada. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel confident that my favorite match in the month of January was the Tamatonga Shingo Takagi uh, never title match at Wrestle Kingdom, and I feel like for you it was probably. Uh, Shingo versus Mox in the street fight from San Jose, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, those... Here's how I felt about it. I I think that, in my personal opinion, I would say, yeah, the the strong title match... Or, I'm sorry, the never title match was the best match in January. But it's... the We're talking about, like, fractions of percentage of star ratings here. Like, I, I don't feel strongly enough to where I'm like, oh, man, they... They, they robbed uh, Tampa Tonga and Shingo or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And and like you said, like pretty much universally across the board, uh, the most highly rated match of the month was Okada and Danielson. So it, it kind of feel out of pocket. Unless I felt real strongly about an alternative, it, it'd feel out of pocket to not make that the match of the month. Yeah. So uh, shout out to Okada getting the January wrestler of the month and the match of the month there with Brian Danielson. Never again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, let's uh, talk about the new beginning in Osaka, which was this past Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, big show here from the, I I feel so out of sorts with this because uh, like, we talked, well, like you mentioned on the show last week, I caught COVID. So because I got COVID and so did my girlfriend, I was taking care of her. And then I got it. I was behind on the fourth and the fifth. So then like, I had to watch those to like play catch up. And like, I've got all these thoughts and, you know, opinions, but the, the time for that has already passed. Now we're already moving on to, you know, this past Sunday show in Osaka. And I'm like, wait, 
I, I want to talk about, you know, I want to talk about uh, want- Hanare and Game Kid. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, well, sorry, man. The, the show goes on. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, very clearly so. But uh, this was an, this Eddie and Arena show in Osaka. Uh, right now, for me, hands down, the show of the year for New Japan. Yeah, I mean, easily show of the year. There were so many. Great feuds kind of built up and peaked here on this show. Great matches, especially obviously the second half of the card where things really picked up. Uh, really great show. So let's start from the opener, work our way through to the main event, uh, review the show, answer any questions in between. Uh, yeah. So show opened up. We had Toro Yano and Yo defeating the team of Bullock Olten and Arisuke Taguchi. Three minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah, uh, just a... Uh- Fun little opener, didn't overstay its welcome. We're talking about a sub five minute, you know, opening match. And um really the 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 catalyst for the finish here, you know, Oleg Bolton. I don't have we figured out what they're calling the maneuver where he gut wrenches the guy and works them back side to side over and over again. Is there a name for that yet? I don't think so. Okay. Well, you know, if if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But basically he had Toriano up in that position. Yo also was up in that exact same position with Taguchi. Problem is Taguchi is not Oleg Bolton <laughs> and was unable to complete his series of gut wrench, you know, uh, whatever you want to call them. And uh, Yo was able to get out of there and, and pick up the, the victory here. I can't recall if he got a pinfall. I think he got a, a quick pinfall when Oleg Bolton's back was turned. Yeah, so, yeah Bull, uh, Oleg was doing the gut wrench thing with his back turned. And then, yeah, Yo rolled up Taguchi to get the win. So if you like comedy, this was pretty comedic and funny. And if you don't, it, it was sub five minutes. So there's not much to uh, complain about there. <laughs> yeah. And also to note, this was the first time that Taguchi and Bolton Oleg teamed together. I know people mixing things up with Mass Horse, Mass Bolton. <laughs> don't, don't don't stay woke. Don't don't get confused out here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, following that, we had the team of Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. They defeated the United Empire team of the Prince of Pace, Callum Newman, and the Great Okan, 7 minutes and 37 seconds. Yeah, um, you know, very interesting. interestingly enough, Callum Newman and Great Okan, um, the odd men out when it comes to members of the United Empire not being included in the main event this evening. Um, but still kind of had a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and a point to prove. And then conversely, you've got Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, the team of Bishamon just recently, you know, lost in the Tokyo Dome, um, lost their IWGP tag team titles and a chance to, I, I guess we thought unified the belts, but it's not going to be unified. So who the fuck knows? But uh, <laughs> either way, Bishamon looking to kind of uh, redeem themselves and get back in the W column. Um, they did have a, a a victory at New Year's Dash over um, the Bloodline. Is that the name of the group? The uh, Young Blood. Young Blood. I call it the Bloodline. <laughs> <laughs> Acknowledge them. Um, yeah. So the Young Blood, and um, it's sort of like you remember when The Rock had to start back from the beginning, and he like had to wrestle the Brooklyn Brawler. That's mm-hmm. basically like what Bishamon has done here. Like they f- they fought Young Blood. Now they're taking on Newman and Great Ocon. They picked up a victory here, and you know they're 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 working their way up the ladder, kind of like they're in uh 
like fucking Mortal Kombat, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but, they, uh, they knocked off Young Blood and this this newer team here of Newman and Ocon. So yeah, so they lost the belts. They're rebuilding, trying to get back, you know, climb the, the rankings to uh, get a, another towel match. Yeah, post match there's a little bit of jaw jacking between Yoshihashi and uh, Great Ocon. I don't know if that's going to lead to anything, but uh, uh, you know, Bishamon probably definitely the most you know established um, heavyweight tag team in New Japan today. Kind of the preeminent tag team, so. Uh, it's probably not going to be a long while before they're back in the title picture. And this is just another, you know, W in the, in the win column for them to kind of make that case. Yeah. And, uh, you know, based off of the, the tag team title results later, I mean, they don't really have that, that high to climb to uh, get back in contention. Anybody is eligible at this point. <laughs> is what we're learning. Um, I, I, Jeremy, I, I've started to, I said I was going to do this at the beginning of the year and I, I'm following through. I'm um, paying a lot closer attention to the backstage comments. I didn't finish uh, the comments for this night because I had to catch up on all the other nights. But uh, I did see in the post-match comments that, uh, unfortunately, Hiroki Goto's father uh, passed away just a few days prior to this match. So, you know, condolences to him and his family. And, um, you know, he, he kind of obviously is going a little, having a, a bit of a hard time with that, which is understandable. Anybody would. Yeah. So yeah, definitely press uh, his family and yeah, hopefully, you know, he can, uh, be focused here. I know it's probably hard for him of a time like that. Um, so then, uh, following that we had the house of torture team, evil Ren Narita show and Yujiro Takahashi, they defeated El Desperado, Shota Umino, Tiger Mask, and Tomioka Hanma at 8 minutes and 43 seconds. Yeah, um, so I mean, obviously you mentioned last week how the uh, the feud between Evil and Renarita and Shota Umino, it's kind of shifted away from Renarita and Shota Umino and over to you know Evil and his uh, title defense of the never uh, openweight uh I feel so weird because I'm on camera. <laughs> the never open weight. Uh, why do I want to call it the tag team titles? Never open weight championship. Yeah, it sounds weird to say that, though, for some reason. <laughs> Anyways, um, Evil had spray painted uh, that title black, which, you know, I, I heard last week where you were uh, talking about how maybe with them defacing that belt, that might mean that they're going to unveil like a new title. I get the fe- the feeling like if that ever does happen, it's not happening right now. It's going to be like a long while before they decide to actually replace the belt. Like one of two things is going to happen here. If Shoto, you know, when either evil's going to keep holding the title and it's just going to stay black and people are just, and eventually it's just going to wear off on its own. Or like, they're going to tell Shoto, you know, to get like some paint remover and he's just going to like wipe it down like they did the the WCW title after the NWO like they're not getting this company does not buy new titles like it takes <laughs> them forever to do anything like that so um you know and uh, along with that house of torture has now uh started branding people with an x uh so you know more you know the NWO DX bullshit from house of torture you know they're really going into their bag of tricks with this one yeah i mean it's what it is. I mean, this this match was short, and you know, hopefully, this is just leading to Umino 
winning the title off of Evil and finally do something with uh, Shooter here. Uh, but yeah, this was short with kind of what you expected and kind of progressing the feud between uh, Evil and Umino. Yeah, and I, I think it's good that they're moving Umino into that position. However, uh, I think it's a little uh, somewhat contradictory to the messaging. Um, you know, he had that match uh, a couple weeks ago and sort of declared himself as the new ace of the new generation. But like, you know, I think it's great. He's going after the never title, but to me that doesn't scream ace, you know, like uh, I, I get it. It's a stepping stone and there's definitely been guys in the past that have used the never title as a, uh, a way to propel themselves to the next level. Like, you know, Kota Ibushi did that and uh, Will Ospreay did that, but it doesn't scream ace, you know, like we never saw Kazushika Okada, you know, languishing for a year. And then after a year, you know, uh, trying to challenge for like the third tier title belt. Like that man came out and won the fucking IWGP title, like night one, you know, mm-hmm. um, not night one, but like basically night two. So I don't know if I have like a lot of confidence that they're ready to go with him as this quote unquote young ace. I don't know if management's telling him to say that if that's just him sort of, you know, writing his own story. I have no clue what the, you know, where they're going with this essentially yeah and it you know it's it's hard too when you're kind of self-proclaiming yourself as the Mm -hmm. ace you know usually guys just kind of show that they're the ace and they get moved up the card and you just kind of realize oh this person is the ace i mean i feel like tanahashi is probably the only one that's really kind of capitalized on that ace branding i'm gonna call myself the ace it's gonna be my whole gimmick uh, but usually, yeah, you don't have somebody that's like, all right, I'm the ace now. And it's, yeah. The the, the greatest thing is when Tanahashi goes, it is I, the once in a generation <laughs> talent, Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude, calm down. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, nothing much here. A lot of these matches were, you know, just preview matches on the undercard, but they were very short. They, you know, uh, were pretty much previews, but um, I am interested to see where they're going with all this post-match. We did get um, Desperado and show. Did you happen to catch the stipulation that they're kind of proposing there? So I know that, you know, show he's stolen one of Despy's masks. Despy mm-hmm. stole the wrench and show has been angling for a IWGP junior title match, but I didn't see, I know on commentary, they teased like a potentially mask versus title or, you know, the wrench for, for the title. That's why you got to watch those backstage comments, bro. What they, what they, um, what they say. <laughs> so uh, apparently, and I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but, you know, first he had stolen Desperado's mask, show had. And then later, after Desperado regained the mask, he stole the title, you know, mm-hmm. and was uh, kind of trying to goad um, Desperado into giving him an IWGP junior heavyweight title match. And so essentially here at, at the conclusion of this match, he basically was saying like, are you going to give me the, the title match now? Blah, blah, blah. And um, Desperado's like, I got my title back. I got the mask. Like, I don't really know what it is that you have that I would want for me to like give you a title match. And he's like, how about this for a stipulation? If I beat you, you have to join strong style. Hmm. 
and um, basically like shows like, yeah, I'll do that. Like I have no fear uh, of, of losing the match. So I don't really know right now, I guess, I don't know if they've made the cards fully complete. I don't know if it's going to be like title versus stipulation um, or if it's going to be non-title with the stipulation. It's hard to tell if the stipulation is even going to happen, but I am wondering, like, um, I personally, I'm not a big fan of when guys lose matches and they get forced to join, uh, you know, another, like as a storytelling device, I don't really enjoy it too much when someone has to turn face or turn heel or, you know, have the the clash with the group that they're being forced to join because what what's going to um, prevent them from just turning around and being like, yo, I'm not, I'm not with you guys. Yeah. It's very WWE ish. Yeah. It's yeah. The, the funny ha ha. All right. You're, you're trapped in your enemies faction for X period of time. And yeah, eventually like the time expires and the guy flips back. And then, I mean, I guess, I mean, you could use it to turn show and maybe like, it's a bad thing at first, but then, wrestling the strong style way maybe he starts winning again and it's a way of transitioning them back, back to you know the, the show that we all thought was you know going to be running this show michaels right but and, and maybe that's the case i don't know but i i'm not i guess in the long run if it if the storytelling's not the greatest but we wind up with him being able to wrestle in his true style we get great matches out of it i guess i won't complain too too much but uh I'm not a huge fan of that style of like storytelling. Yeah, and you know, I guess on the website they don't have anything official about the stipulation, so maybe it'll get added or maybe maybe not. But yeah, I don't not, not a huge fan of that whole stipulation either. And but yeah, if it's if if the goals, yeah, we're gonna get back, you know, pre pandemic show. All right, let's do it. But yeah, <laughs> I'm guessing what's gonna happen is. Despy's gonna win. Show's gonna be forced to join. He's gonna screw things up for Strong Style, and they'll kick him out. And yeah, I don't really see this going far. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting though. Um, I mean, at least something is happening with Show. Yeah, which is you know better than nothing. Yeah. I, guess. <laughs> uh, I had a question here from Diego Stinger Garcia in the Discord. It says this. Umino have enough dog to politic his way to beat his generation pals. Um, I mean, we've shown pretty clearly on this show that we have no idea about the backstage politics of the <laughs> Japan for wrestling. So I really, uh, I don't know the the characters of these guys like in their personal life. I have no idea how they're you know uh, angling themselves for you know projected success within the the company, but. Um, you know, it's tough. It's tough business. Probably got to figure something out if you want to be the ace, you know? Yeah. Uh, so moving on to the next match. We had the Just Five Guys team, Doki Sana, Taichi, Taka, and Yuya Uemura. They defeated the LIJ team, Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Yota Suji, 11 minutes and five seconds. And um, remind me, how did this match end? I can't recall. So finish of this match was Bushi tapping out to the Skulland. Ah, uh, that's right. Okay. Now I gotta say, Jeremy, um, this is my chance to kind of address some of the things that you said last week. There, I thought the show was great. 
Uh, I know I gave you a hard time earlier, but I did think you did an incredible job. But the one thing I, I strongly disagreed with you about, I got to get it out. <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you talked about the, um, the gauntlet tag match. And you talked about Naito and Sonata having uh, a nice, decent little match. That is total and complete bullshit. That was not a nice little match. That was the most nothing happeningest boring match <laughs> that those guys could have possibly had. And in fact, I, I had strong feelings about most of that gauntlet where, you know, me being a, a fan of this match style that they haven't done to my knowledge since the eighties. I mean, I can only recall the three times it's ever happened. Um, th- they're just, those matches are like, you know how I get mad about uh, war games matches, not being worked in the way that they like would benefit the, you know, just in every aspect, because it's like, it's a perfect formula. Yeah. That's how I feel about the gaunt, like the new Japan gauntlet style match. I'm like, there's a rhyme and a reason to everything. And this feels like a bastardization of it. It it reminds me of the same thing that they do with the elimination tag match. How like, I love the old school new Japan elimination tag matches, but the ones we get today in Cork and hall, they're nothing like those uh, previous ones. And, and that's sort of, what happened in uh, Cork in a few weeks ago, but damn, bro. Uh, except for the finish, the the finish between Sujin and um, Yumura was incredible. But everything leading up to it, I was like, man, these guys did not come to put their working boots on, especially Naito and Sonata. Except for the last thirty seconds of that match. Yeah, I, I just felt like they moved very well in that opening compared to what they normally do. Like they were doing a lot of sequences, even though obviously they were like going super hard, but they were still doing a lot of sequences that felt looked better than some of their the Wrestle Kingdom match, maybe some of their preview matches. Uh but yeah, that gauntlet was very kind of by the numbers, very predictable. All right, we have to do the double count outs. We have to do these draws. We we have to, you know, it was yeah, it, it was fun for what it was. I mean, I think it could have been better. I think the hard thing was you had we have all these single matches coming up, so you, you don't want to, you know, blow off any finishes there. Uh, I think it would have been more interesting had they had, like, maybe Suji or Uemura be the one that, like, beats Abushi, beats Ataka, and have them mix it up with some of the other uh, faction guys. It would have been better if this uh, feud was hot. Hey, you, you don't think LIJ and Just Five Guys is hot? I think it's um, it's not a bad feud. Like I've I've heard some people really really run it down, and I don't think it's that bad. I think there's some there's some good stuff going on. I feel like Suji and um, Uemura definitely have like the lion's share of the uh, the interest and the heat. But it's not it's not like something where you're like, for instance, the way they built up the main event for this show with War Dogs and and United Empire. You're like, damn, I can't wait to see what happens there. Like this is crazy you don't have that same kind of vibe with these two groups. And when you do a gauntlet style match like that, it usually is the blow off for the culmination, like of the entirety of the feud. And this was just like a stopgap with a lot of like non finishes and people just, it it didn't really serve the purpose that it should. Yeah. I think, yeah, they should have done this after Sapporo as a blow off because yeah, then at that point you already had the singles matches then you could like, all right, the main, the bigger stuff is done, so let's blow off the feud, the, the faction feud in a gauntlet match, and we can beat people, we can do more interesting stuff. You could have, like, Suji in there with, like, uh, Taichi, or have Uemura in there with Naito and do some uh, 
kind of different stuff like that instead of all right essentially this was like a preview 10 man tag that's done a different format and see i think they shouldn't be doing it unless like everybody in the feud is over and like the crowd is going crazy and popping for every single you know entry every single finish like it's just like bam 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 like that's what i'm used to when i've seen this match in the past and this this one uh didn't quite live up to that unfortunately yeah but uh yeah just five guys they're they're, they're picking up um you know some momentum here and um i guess the the big thing too with this whole feud is you know we've got Yamora and Suji and the match that they have coming up later on the tour, they're going to do hair versus hair. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk more about that, but that's sort of on the table. And then you've also got Suji, uh, you know, kind of discussing wanting to go after the the world heavyweight title and kind of just telling Naito straight up, like when the time comes, I want to challenge you for that belt, which is a uh, kind of non-traditional. We've, got a few things we could point to in the recent past that are somewhat similar but it's not very often that you see stablemates trying to challenge each other for you know the world title or any title yeah it's kind of the one that pops to mind is jay white joining mm-hmm. chaos and also wanting to eventually challenge okada and we know how that all played out um, um the other thing too obviously hiromu and um uh, what's wrong with me? And Doki, Doki. They, they've, they've had a good little feud going, and th- those guys, I always love it when they mix it up. Yeah, and, and, uh, and uh, Doki's been getting the better of Hiromu. Mm-hmm. He had got the, you know, he's already pinned him in the in a preview tag. He had the visual pinfall after the draw in the gauntlet match. So, yeah, Doki kind of owning Hiromu right now. Yeah, and then, obviously, the pairing of Taichi and, and um, Shingo, even though they don't have anything in, pre- they actually did bring something up uh, this is about as far as I got in the backstage comments. They might have something having to do with their YouTube channels related to their upcoming match. But I'm not sure what that stipulation is 100%. I don't know if it's been clarified, but it was something that they started to mention because everybody else is kind of raising the stakes and having all these stipulations. So uh, they started talking about maybe... Um, you know, having something with their YouTube channels, but I don't know what it is exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what that's going to end up being. I'm pretty sure my understanding is Tai Chi's uh, YouTube channel is like vastly more popular than <laughs> than Shingo, so I don't know. Yeah, I didn't even know Shingo had a YouTube channel. Uh, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like we always hear about Tai Chi's channel, not <laughs> I've never heard about Shingo's. I never hear about any of theirs because I'm not I'm no Mark. <laughs> uh. Got a question here from our user Copper Squire. How would you book Hiromu's twenty twenty four if he's staying away from the junior title? Um, hmm, that is a good question, Jeremy. What are you thinking? I mean, if he's going to be completely out of the junior division, I would put him in the in the never. Well, he said the junior title. Well, junior so yeah, junior title. Uh, I would, I would, uh, so I would have him go towards the never title which I know Umino is kind of in, in place for that now, but I think that could also be a good spot for Hiromu. Or, all right, he's not challenging for junior. You don't want to put him and Bushi together for tag. Yeah, put him as a never title contender, champion. He can. We know he has good matches with heavyweights, and that's that could be a way to slowly transition him into being a heavyweight. Or if you just want him like G1 this year, it's like, all right, well, the never champion's always in G1. He could win the belt in the summer, be a part of G1. Um, so that's what I would do with him. 
yeah, I mean, he could still compete in super juniors as well. Um, you know, there's no reason why if you are keeping him away from that title where he couldn't do more excursion type stuff, if he wanted maybe, you know, domestically or in the States, just depending. And, um, you know, there's always the, the junior titles as well. Yeah. The they junior could, tag titles. So that's yeah. an option if they wanted to kind of explore that. Yeah. You can put him and Bushi back together. You can do, um, you could do him and Teton if, if, you know, you're going to have Teton stick around. I think that'd be probably more fun to have uh, him and Teton team together, you know? And then, I mean, hypothetically, who knows, maybe, you know, I know you mentioned doing the open weight thing for the, the singles title, but maybe the six mans might be appealing. I mean, there's kind of a lot of options really. Right. I mean, obviously with um, LIJ, there's multiple ways you can cut that up to do trios. Yeah. You can do Hiromu Shingo Naito, Hiromu Shingo Bushi, throw mm-hmm. Teton in there. Like, so there's a lot of things they could do if, if they wanted to go never. And Hey, even like heavyweight tag, like what if you do like Hiromu and Shingo as a tag team? And, I would love that. And they go for the IWGP tag titles. Yeah, we need we need someone to come save us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things that they uh, could do with that. Uh, so moving on to the next. Actually, before we move on to the next match. For these and it's people, amazing how little we have discussed Sonata and Knight. <laughs> The IWGP the world, world title IWGP program, world title program, like no discussion, like it's like it's happening, yeah, and and they don't seem to care either of them. It's there, <laughs> it's perplexing, yeah. Um, so after that, oh, before, before we move on, um, for these first four matches, um, uh, Mad Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes were a part of commentary. Hilarious. Uh, they were absolutely hilarious. Uh, but I, I were gl- I was glad that they left for the second half of the show, right? Because it was definitely more serious, and they were just like clowning the, the whole time through the whole show, just cracking jokes, which they were funny. Like bring them on for like a road two show, but like for the second half, I'm glad that they left. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they left as well. <laughs> but maybe that's part of the reason. Like if you're looking at this card, and I'm calling it like a show of the year contender, and you're like. Man, you just you, you guys just ran off like you know four matches that kind of seem like pretty nothing, and it's like, well, it was pretty funny. You had you know Team DK like basically just saying hilarious shit, which I, I'm always down with that. Yeah. So then, uh, following that, we had uh, Kazuchika Okada's last singles match, his last match in Osaka. On the anniversary of the Rainmaker Shock. So Kuzuchika Okada defeats the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi in 16 minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, um, very emotional match. Uh, A lot of, uh, I saw tears in the crowd. I saw tears on grown men, um, commentators, like everybody. It seemed to be very, very emotional. And, um, you know, kind of, we'll get to the news here in a little while, but based on what the final two matches uh, that Okada is going to be having with this company, it feels like this is certainly the big blow off, like send off match for him. Um, Cause they're, they're not doing shit like this for him for the rest of the tour. Yeah. But this was a, uh, this was really, really incredible. Um, I, I thought like, what this reminded me of in a, in a lot of ways was like, I know that we've talked about the great 
rivalries in the history of wrestling and where Tanahashi and Okada fit in, in that pantheon, you know? And um, I kind of feel like this reminded me a bit of Steamboat Savage, or I'm sorry, Steamboat Flair, but not Steamboat Flair in like 89 or in the 70s, but like the 1994 version of that match where it was like, it's amazing. Like, it's still really great. It's not quite the peak that it was in, say, 89, but it's not that far off. And damn, like, it's still better than 95% of the wrestling you're going to see this year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that most of the matches that they've had with one another post the 2018 trilogy, which that was like the last really true compelling storytelling like feud that they had. And that was the one where Tanahashi won the feud that was during Okada's red balloon phase. <laughs> and Tanahashi went on to uh, win the, um, the IWGP title at the time um, coming off of a G one victory. That was the last like real meaningful series of matches. The, these guys had, and every time after that, it's been them playing the hits uh, to some really great matches, some lesser degree, but they we've it's always been pretty much acknowledged that like all these matches they've had post 2018 have been uh, a shadow of their former glory. And I felt like of all of those matches, including the match that we saw at the G1 in Dallas, I feel like this was maybe the best of the lot. Like just very much like if you if you were to write out what you think a 15 or 16 minute Okada Tanahashi match at this stage of their careers looks like like this was it to a T, but done the best they possibly could have done it. And I, I loved the match. Like I, this is one of my favorite, you know, series of matches of all time. And I feel like this was a really, really, really high note for them to go out on. And of course, at the end, you know, Okada beat Tanahashi. I know there's people who are going to be angry about that because they think he should be, you know, putting somebody over on the way out, but uh, it, it is Tanahashi and he is the president and, you know, um, it, it, that's the final stamp on, on their feud and Okada is off, you know, to work for WWE. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm seeing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this rivalry obviously is so important to the history of the company to the careers of Tanahashi and Okada. And I think just for the popularity of new Japan in America, I think that, you know, a lot of outlets really kind of latched on to that Okada Tanahashi feud. A lot of fans were hearing about it. And, you know, that part of their feud was a whole like Russell kingdom uh, where um, Jeff Jarrett had it on pay-per-view. And so people were watching it on pay-per-view for the first time in America and like seeing this whole big feud kind of start playing out. And so, yeah, very just, uh, instrumental rivalry to the the company to western fans and this podcast i mean who knows if we would be doing this if uh, these guys had not had this feud and really took the company to a next level i mean yeah tanahashi definitely saved the company from the dark ages but like this feud and then the push of okada really elevated things to that that next level that that period that we saw um, you know, like 2015 to 2019, that kind of golden era, really kind of all surrounding and elevated from this feud. Yeah, uh, I, I think they're lucky that uh, that whole Jarrett thing worked out because some smart fans would have been like, Jarrett, Jarrett's tied to this? Nah, I'm not getting worked. <laughs> you know, it's funny for me, the thing that like caught, caught me was like AJ Styles because he had just left TNA and I was like, 
AJ was all was my man, one of my favorites. I'm like, all right, you know, AJ's over here. Uh, let's, let's see what's going on. <laughs> but you know, the the poetic nature of this match, um, the fact that what was what's the time difference? Uh, so twenty, we're talking about 2012 to 2024. So basically, a, a 12 year difference there uh, from the original Rainmaker Shock in the same building, and um, literally almost to the day. Uh, for these guys to wrap up and culminate the entirety of of the feud. And, you know, you look back at where they were on that first night with Tanahashi riding at the highest of highs for his basic, you know, basically for his title reigns and for his career. That's that's the reign where he had the most successful title defenses and where he was seen as like the fucking ace of the company, like in his prime. And then, and then you got Okada coming in as this virtuoso that like he didn't expect, and he totally shocks him. And and then everywhere that that story went over the subsequent subsequent twelve years, and now here we are, and Okada is the ace, and Tanahashi is the aged veteran, but he's also now the president of the company, and Okada is on his way out as the first ever major ace of any Japanese you know, Perezu company to leave and go uh, work, you know, uh, in America. Like it's, it's, it's very strange how everything sort of intersected and, and kind of came to this point. And uh, I thought the match was incredible. Um, very, very emotional at the finish there, you know, those guys, uh, you know, embracing and, and all the tears and, and pretty much everybody, you know, giving uh or yeah okada is is adulates and uh goes off into the sunset and i know we got two more dates with him but i don't think they're going to be able to likely match the emotion and the uh uh you know dare i say beauty of this match in this moment yeah and you know really uh yeah enjoy enjoy the matchup i would say that i liked the uh the dallas match that we saw live uh better i i really like that dallas match i know a lot of people are uh, a little bit critical on that Dallas match, but I thought that that was like a four and a half star match for me. Uh, this match, I'm more of like maybe four, uh, hmm. like 3.75, probably four, but I mean, very emotional, great uh, video package. Uh, I mean, also just there's so much history, so much emotion behind it. But like you mentioned, I mean, also Tanahashi is, you know, nowhere where he was in, 2019 and definitely not where he was in 2012 uh, and obviously they laid out the match it was like what you imagine if you close your eyes and you're like I'm going to write out a Tanahashi Okada match and that's what it was and they, they played the hits and the crowd was hot for it I, I did think it was interesting at the beginning like crowd shang for Okada and then it seemed like alright we're going to get like prick Tanahashi he's got to be a heel and then immediately they're like Tanahashi Tanahashi and he's doing his, you know, he's like, so yeah. Um, and then Okada, yeah, we got a little bit of uh, a little bit of heel Okada at certain points in the match too, which yeah. like kind of harkened back. And he he was definitely like, you know, anytime he starts to attack like Tanahashi's neck and everything, I'm like, oh, you know. But um, yeah, I thought about that Dallas match, and I was like, you know, that those goosebumps that you get from the beginning when everyone is just going ape shit and they haven't even touched like that is a really special moment, but this also had a lot of emotion as well. So um, the one thing I will say this, this was a lot better than the match they had in America last year. Yeah. Then the, um, 
what was that new beginning or not new beginning that was a um, battle in the valley yeah yeah so i probably would have gone like four and a quarter plus i thought it was that good i mm-hmm. i just really really enjoyed the match but um you know uh i've been listening to trying to catch up this uh past weekend too on some shows and like bro there's so many so many people in this like new japan community that have voices and are content creators and they're just fucking bitter and pissed about okada leaving like it's kind of funny in a way like we should be the ones pissed i mean look at this shit like you know what i mean like uh yeah i think somebody just there's a question later on asking about the logo and what we're gonna do and uh, we already talked about that we're not answering more questions about that yeah, I mean, yeah, this, I thought this was, honestly, I wish this was the last match for him because this was a, a good way to cap off his career, kind of how his, you know, post-excursion career started, facing off against Tanahashi and ending up Tanahashi would have been, I thought, kind of the, the right note here. And, yeah. How do you, how do you think people are going to react when they find out that Matt Riddle's the guy he's putting over on the way out? <laughs> yeah, people are not, are not happy with uh, Riddle being in one of those last matches. Uh, Riddle's gonna beat him, bro. <laughs> <laughs> bro, Derek for the one, two, three. <laughs> yeah, after he beats uh, Tanahashi for the TV title. <laughs> I don't even know what what a bro Derek is, but I just know that's a name. That that's the uh, the tombstone. That's what that was. What he had to call it in WWE. Now he he goes back to calling it the I think the Bro Stone. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so really good matchup here. I think I'll see. It's kind of hard to compare this to obviously some of their more high level stuff. And this didn't have like this wasn't like a 20, 30 minute match, and it didn't have like the tons of tons of reversal and sequences, but still good for what it was. And then obviously, post match, they embrace and hug, and uh, you know, they're talking to each other, crowds going crazy for Okada. So good emotional moment there. So then we move on to the IWGP tag team title match. The Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Hikaleo or Kenta. They defeat the GOD team of Alphantasmo and Hikaleo. 13 minutes and 11 seconds. Um, well, I'll start off with the positives. Okay. There's not many, but, you know, um, not going to sit here and defend this match and be like, oh, this was fantastic. I don't know what everyone's talking about, but like the outrage that you're seeing online, um, and it, some of it's definitely justifiably so because this is baffling booking, um, in my opinion, and I think for most people's opinion, but the actual match itself wasn't that bad. You know, like I, I see, I'm seeing people like throw like twos and shit on it, and I'm like, it, it really was fine it was just a fine match if anything it was probably realistically better than the match that they had with each other earlier in the tour for the strong open weight tag team titles um but then again this all calls into question um what what are we doing here because you know you you have the match at the tokyo dome you you put both tag straps on god and make them the hundredth champions. And you're wondering the whole time, like, are we going to unify these belts? Like, is there, are we going to do a consolidation? Um, are they going to defend them simultaneously? Like what, what's happening here? And um, you called it last week. You said that like, there is an actual real possibility that Kenta and um, 
freaking Chase, Chase Owens, Owens win pick up the win here just because they already lost the first title shot. And I, I heard a few other podcasts and, and people out there say the same thing, but I was a hundred percent in the camp. Like I know they could do that, but they would be so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> there's no reason to do that. Especially like, you know, like why, why would, why, why? <laughs> yeah. So the, the match was fine. It, it had a good finish, but ultimately like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong. Like, was there, was there like a I I'm like this is all you know kind of coming off of a COVID fog. Was there an interference at the end that like kind of? Yeah, Ty Gishimori, uh was out there, and that's right. Uh, he uh, hit Hikaleo with the belt, uh, which allowed Kenta to get the pin over him. Did um I feel like didn't um Chase Owens pull the referee out at one point as well? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So some, yeah, there was some, um, some stuff down the end where, like, bro, I'm getting sick. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, they did the uh, Hikaleo did the choke slam on Kenta, uh, but then Kenta grabbed the ref to escape. Um, that was that was the ref spot there. Okay, and then gotcha. Owen, Owens pulled the ref to the floor after they did the uh, thunder kiss. Okay, that's yeah, what I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah, and like he hit the thunder kiss, and I was like, okay, cool. And then they did the the big spot where he pulled the referee out. And I'm like, I just, I get it. It's wrestling. I, I know everybody does this and I know I'm just like, uh, you know, talking to a wall here, but like, how is that not an automatic disqualification? Like, I don't understand. Like th- there's just some spots I have a real problem with. And I never like when they pull the referee out and how it doesn't result in well, an automatic DQ. Yeah. It's the most uh, illogical, stupid thing that happens in pro wrestling across the board, any country, any promotion it's like, yeah, you you touch the official, it should be over. Like in a real sport, like if you put your hands on an official out, like that's a fine. Like the match is over. Like you're getting disqualified, and I get it. It's pro wrestling, but still, like especially in New Japan, it's supposed to be more sports based. Yeah. Presentation. So, and I get I it. I feel like if if you put your hands on the on the ref, like in a. I think there's a fine line, you know, there's the old Tommy Rich and Ric Flair pushing each other and like tell them to respect it and everything, blah, blah. That's one thing. But like when you are literally accosting the man, you're pulling his entire fucking body out of the ring. Yeah. How is that not a DQ? I that, don't get it. Yeah. And I, I, I can, I can live with like the whole thing or like maybe somebody's going for a spear, the guy moved and the ref was there mispositioned. Totally. Like stuff like I, that. Like I know it's stupid, but it, I get what you're saying. I can also um, be like, you know, that was inadvertent. It wasn't flagrant, right? Like he was going to spare his opponent or super kick his opponent, and the guy moved, and the ref just happened to be in the wrong position. Most ref bumps, even even the ones where they intend to ref the bump, but they have plausible deniability. I can totally like logically be like, well, it wasn't flagrant. It was inadvertent, or at least you know, there's. There's some deniability there, but when they literally grab, when they grab the dude by his ankles and fucking yoink him out of the ring, like no, <laughs> like, what? How are we still? How's this match not over? It doesn't make sense. Anyways, yeah. um, and now that brings us to to the conclusion of like, why did we? Why did this even happen to begin with? And where do we think the title picture and the division is going because we literally took a tag team that wasn't even in world tag league. And I know you, you mentioned this on last week's show. You're like, there's a lot of tag teams that they could have 
put these belts on over the past couple of years or, you know, had challenging at least people that were in World Tag League. And instead we got these guys and it seemed pretty clear cut that we were probably leading to, you know, just like a first easy tile defense. And then these guys move on. And I am wondering, like, why did they lose? Like, was this always the plan? Are we, are they resigned? I know that, that there was some talk about their contracts, maybe potentially being up. Like, is well, there the possibility that all of GOD leaves? Like what's going on? They're announced for a Windy City riot in April. Yeah, but Juice did that shit too, and that didn't mean nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so I mean obviously they could still be leaving and still work that show, and they are the strong tag team champion still. Uh um, right, that's true. But why, why are they still why why did they keep the blue belts but lose the black belts? I don't get it. And why well, did this team this this whole this whole booking makes no sense. Um, and like yeah, you know they they beat these guys early in the tour, defending the strong titles, and then somehow like this match still happens. Like I feel like in the middle of this tour, like Kenta and Chase should have at least beaten some other team to rebound and be like, all right, we we're actually still contenders. We're we're still challenging you. Look, and I'm not even gonna sit here and be like you know, and, and cry and be like a little bitch because my team didn't win. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if I would call G.O.D. my team, but like, well, I mean, they, they were on kiss. So the, the... yeah, they were on here. So, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm okay with the bad guys winning sometimes. And there, if there's a reason for it, like if, if you can kind of see a direction that it's potentially leading to, and it feels like, over the past year, year and a half, like this company's done a lot to really try and re rehab the tag team division between like the work with Bishamon and, and FTR and Aussie Open and TMDK and all, a bunch of other tag teams, including, you know, this new GOD. And now instead of like all the times that they could have put the titles on TMDK, <laughs> they put the titles on Chase Owens and Kenta. And I know it it rings very similar to like what happened when um Fale and Chase Owens won the belts. But like I don't know. I just don't see the purpose. Like they've got a whole you know roster of guys that could potentially fill this role. I I, I don't see the purpose of it. I'm I'm kind of confused. Yeah, literally there there are Dozens of dozens of teams that they have access to that they could have ran this same storyline with and had these guys lose the belts and yeah I don't I don't get it. it doesn't make any sense like if you want them to lose like lose the strong titles and let them carry on with the tag the IWGB tag titles and I know sometimes Gale does like to have the champion lose their first defense mm-hmm. or whatever fine you, you want to do that but come on uh, War Dogs. Uh, you know, Suji and Shingo. Like, it, it, you don't have to think that hard to find a better team to put in this spot. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, I kind of blame the War Dogs here because remember last July where they won the strong titles the first time, but then lost the IWGP title defense to Bishamon mm-hmm. um, or Challenge. This is their fault because they set the precedent. And like Gato's like, I can't do that again. I already did that last year, so we gotta flip it now. You know, yeah, keep keep people on their toes. Yeah, keep keep them on their toes. Keep them wondering why why do we have two tag title belts? Like, bro, this company's got four sets of tag belts. They got the 
the the six man never opens. They got the IWGP Junior Heavyweights. They got the IWGP Tag Titles. Those all have a distinct purpose, but the strong open weight tag team titles have no purpose. Like, yeah, you know, they, like, they had a purpose. One strong was a weekly TV show, and it's like, all right, that's going to be the division for that brand. But even though they still brand these America shows as strong, like, I don't even know if they're still doing that moving forward. Yeah, I think that's still. I know the Battle in the Valley was still. I think like a new Japan. that was strong. Yeah. What what was the show that they just announced? Uh the the one the California show Resurgence. Yeah. Did they are they call did they call that strong resurgence? Because I don't recall that they did, and that that got me thinking. Yeah, I'll have to double. I'll have to reread the or rewatch the promo, but. In either case, like bro, they don't need the they don't need four fucking tag titles. And why why have we had like at this point three unified champions? That just goes to show you how insignificant these if the titles had a distinct purpose, you wouldn't feel the need to keep putting both of them on a set of tag teams. But they've done it like three times to my knowledge. They did it with TMDK, they did it with Bishamon. And now they've done it with uh, with these guys, and I don't. Maybe they did it to somebody else. They had to do with uh, Aussie Open also. Weren't oh, they... de- I said TMDK in the beginning, didn't I? Yeah, I meant Aussie Open. Yeah, sorry, wrong Australian tag team. <laughs> but yeah, they've done it with three tag teams already, so that just goes to show you, like, there's a reason that this keeps happening because they don't have a purpose. Yeah. And we had a ton of questions about this match. Uh, first from Rambo and Slam Pig. He says, I am really glad they finally started pushing the young generation. With that <laughs> said, thoughts on the new IWGP heavyweight tag champions, that young prospect Chase Owens and Blue Chipper Kenta. Is this a sign that ELP and Orhikleo may not be long for the company or just a means to an end to split the belts? Bro, literally, your your guess is as good as mine. I think that those, both of those speculations, are as plausible as any other because I don't know why they did this. Yeah, I I am baffled. I I can't. I cannot give a good reason for <laughs> why they did this. Um, and something else I just want to point out because the way that uh, Rambo and spelled this out. So I've noticed that um, Chris Charlton he's been calling Phantasmo LP, and normally people say. ELP and the way Rambo spelled it out here, he put L dash P. Is it just me or is it is this like a retcon and people are trying to change it to like LP instead of ELP? Bro, you ever heard of the Mandela effect? Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's what this shit is, right? Here. <laughs> I'm like his song says E L P. Like, what am I missing here? <laughs> wait, wait, bro, wait till the next time you turn on that show and it's like L. P and you're like no <laughs> I swear to god it didn't say that. Uh anyway, uh next question here from Def Triangle 720. How can we make the heavyweight tag titles feel important again? Um uh, uh put them on know, anybody else besides Chase and Kenta? <laughs> bro, we were just to be like completely honest, I I I don't dislike the new god uh oh one thing before i get to that point another thing too is like aren't we going to very shortly on this tour have the old god fight the new god 
Yes, I believe that is coming up on one of the nights of Sapporo. Maybe that's why they did this, because maybe that's the tell that they're going to have the new G.O.D. lose to the old G.O.D. on the way out. Yeah, so uh, night- they didn't want to have the champions lay down like that. Yeah, night two of Sapporo is going to be, yeah, Tama and Tanga versus ELP and Hikaleo. But I mean, if we're being honest, you know, talking about people that should quote unquote do business on the way out, like the old G.O.D. should lose to the new G.O.D., and set them up so it, it shouldn't matter one way or the other but um what i was gonna say is like to me i, I do like god they're not my favorite tag team as of yet but that's just because they just kind of got started and they were kind of put in a shit position like when you look at the booking of uh the world tag league to wrestle kingdom they had to face the same tag team in Bishamon three times in a very short period of time and then they had to have a series of matches with Kenta and Chase Owens. Like their, their title reign really isn't chock full of a lot of defenses or variety of opponents. They just kind of had the same four guys for months on end. And they probably needed to have, and who knows, I'm, I'm assuming that they're going to continue as a team moving forward and they'll get to work with other people and, and kind of reestablish themselves. But you know, they, they kind of got put in a bad position having just like the same matches over and over again, even on this tour. Yeah. Very, very weird booking. And, you know, maybe again, back to your point, maybe they are leaving and G.O.D. versus G.O.D. is like the finale for all four of them. Like maybe I, I right now, like if like, let's say if in a month we turned around and got a rematch between these two teams and you put the titles right back on G.O.D. again, the new G.O.D., I'd be like, what are we doing? I, like, I wouldn't even be happy about that because that would be like such a waste of all of our time that we have to see this feud continue. So having, unless they, my only thinking is like, unless they got a really cool tag team coming and they want to transition mm-hmm. um, these belts to somebody else without having G.O.D. be the fall guys. And maybe that's what's down the pipeline. Maybe they got some secret cool tag team. That's not Bishamon that we don't, know about maybe that's where we're going but i doubt it every you know yeah i mean the yen yen is down (laughs) yeah um next question here from less commission 7252 says so tmdk loses three iwgp tag team title matches but kenta and chase owens can win in their first attempt wtf it's called racism it's called Uh, Dark Soldier says, look at the tag champs in wrestling. In WWE, we have the Judgment Day, a pretty cool stable. Sting and Darby, mentor and student like Bruce Wayne and Terry McGinnis. In TNA, we have ABC, Chris Bay and Ace Austin. Talent with a lot to offer and their name helps learn the alphabet. In NJPW, we have Kenta and Chase Owens. Uh, just why? I thought Phantasm and Kaleo being interviewed by you guys would give them superpowers and a longer reign. Well, unfortunately... Uh, because there were so many other people that also interviewed them, they all canceled each other out. Yeah, know? so well, that's what, we we gave them the rub, and then they went and did all these little, you know, in <laughs> mom and pop, <laughs> <laughs> little mom and pop podcast, <laughs> some fucking mud show indie outlaw bullshit. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, uh, oh man! 
Ethan Black on Twitter says, uh, so Chase Owens and Kenta are IWGP tag team champions. Why? How long do you guys think they will hang on to them for? And who do you guys see challenging them? You know, if we want to point to anything to be like, you know, maybe maybe we need a change at the top. You know, other people want to point to like the handling of Okada and the, and the new generation and, you know, Osprey. I'm like, nah, this is it. This is the camel that breaks the, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like, can't be fucking around with these IWGP <laughs> tag team titles, you know? <laughs> put those titles on chase owens again like you know this take me back to COVID times i feel like i'm going back to jingu stadium like i'm not (laughs) not feeling this right now yeah um one thing i did want to say and this is a little off subject i give them a little bit of a pass because like i mentioned i have been watching the backstage promos and oh my god kenta is the fucking funniest human being alive on this roster and in just existence like bro him, he, he has these weird little backstage storylines going with him and the interviewer or the cameraman I can't that he calls fatty and he, yeah and like and he like gets up in his like ear and like kisses him he's like and he comes <laughs> and he's like, oh and like, <laughs> I just fucking love it it's so funny dude oh uh, yeah Kenta that is one thing yeah Kenta is hilarious he always been he always has been with those uh, backstage promos like I don't care that like and then like there's just a lot. There's a lot going on there. Like, you know, people talk about all this, like, Hiromu headcanon with him and, you know, remember the fucking cats and all that? Mm-hmm. Like, that shit doesn't have anything on Kenta and his backstage <laughs> adventures. They're so much better. But the thing is, you got to tune in and watch those because they don't play into the story at all and they don't make him a better wrestler when, when it comes time to ring the bell. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say about that. But like, those fucking interviews are can't miss. They're incredible. All right, I, I gotta check them out. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, the only the only hope I think for a tag team, I, I don't know if you noticed in the in the BTR they did show like the Lucha Bros as a like a tag team. They're talking about like tag teams across the world that want to come for the tag team titles. So, oh, then maybe I was right when I was like, you know. Uh, they don't want to make their guy like their team that they're trying to establish the fall guys for a, a super cool tag team like the Lucha Brothers. Maybe that's the case. Uh, but bro, just imagine the shit storm that that is going to kick up when you know the Lucha <laughs> Brothers show up in fucking AEW or in New Japan for wrestling. And win the tag, take title. those win the tag titles, and then take them back to America. That's why we got two tag titles. We. So we can send the, the real ones over to AEW so that they can be defended on like Rampage and <laughs> Lucha Bros defending against the Outrunners. <laughs> I don't even know who those are. Yeah, yeah. So so that that can happen, and then you know, never never worry because God 2.0 is still here with the blue belts, and those and we're gonna raise the prestige of those titles during, you know. Um, New Japan Cup. So <laughs> that's another thing. Maybe maybe they won the belt off of them because they're yeah they're gonna push one of those guys in New Japan Cup and then maybe they're they're going singles. We have covered so many. We have analyzed this from all <laughs> angles. That might be correct. You might be. All of these are are hypothetically possible. Another thing that's possible, Gato just might not give a fuck. Like he, he just <laughs> might like those. He just might like you know like they really love Chase Owens. Kenta's like his his guy. Like he's like. 
fuck it. Fuck those dudes. We're going to be 101st <laughs> champions, you guys. Bullet Club, let's yeah. go. <laughs> Bullet Club for life. Isn't it weird? Those guys don't even, like, have a defined, like, there's there's all these different factions of Bullet Club, and then there's, like, Ishimori, Kenta, and Chase Owens, who just are completely unaffiliated with any other group, but they're not a subgroup. And they're kind of cool with everybody, but not really. It's weird as fuck. They're, they're the core. They're the core of Bullet Club. I guess they're the OG Bullet Club, even though <laughs> none of them were part of the original group. <laughs> oh, man. Bro, think about, like, uh, I don't know if you saw the one backstage thing where, like, um, Taichi is like, are me and Kanemaru both in Bullet Club now? <laughs> <laughs> you think about their their whole history with each other and he's like are we on the same team but like we don't but they don't interact like they never see each other it's weird yeah it's really weird <laughs> say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, let's move on to the semi-main event. We had the front man, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, 32 minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, bro. Yeah. This match, the first match that they had, won um, this show's Excursion Match of the Year um, award for 2023. And um, even though the people that are in the know knew this rematch was happening, like I, I, I do want to say I, I, I hate the idea that AEW really didn't do anything to promote this match in any meaningful way whatsoever. That kind of sucks because not that many people outside of like diehard new Japan fans seem to know that this was even happening. But for those of us that had been anticipating, it was like, damn, how are they going to live up to, you know, that first match and can they, uh, you know, match it or surpass it. And in my honest opinion, and like, I told many people who hadn't even seen the match yet that I thought this match surpassed it. And I didn't feel in any way unconfident that without them having seen it, that I had ruined, you know how sometimes you set improper expectations, right? Yeah. I didn't feel like I was doing that at all. Like I knew for a fact, I'm like, it doesn't matter what I say that this match is that much better than the, and the first one was a fucking classic. But this one, you've got people talking, you know, depending on your taste in wrestling and, and everything, like you got people talking about match of the year contender. And I think it is up there. Um, just incredible, incredible professional wrestling. Like that's what you had here. Like on every facet, every level. Um, I always, one way I can always tell that without analyzing too deeply how good a match is, is like when I'm just sort of in it. And it's a long match, but it feels short. And that's what was happening here. Like when you tell me that this match went like almost 35 minutes, it didn't feel like it. It just felt like a 15 minute sprint to me. And like, I want to watch it again. Yeah, this match was very well paced. And I'll see 
kind of a slower start feeling out process but yeah it, it did not feel 30 minutes it was this was a, a breeze to watch and yeah very awesome matchup definitely a uh match of the year contender and Man, yeah, this the wrestling was just so great. The the, the exchange of holes, the striking um, between both guys, uh, leading into like, the middle part of the match, and just so many great counters, counting their, their big moves. Yeah, this was just great. One thing that I appreciate about both of these guys that really, to me, sets their style of wrestling against one another apart from uh, some other different kinds of technical wrestling is like the struggle of it all you know like very often and we've talked about this on the show where like zach is such a you know high level performer that very often he's able to just kind of make wrap guys up and kind of eat them alive and most of the time they don't offer they don't offer that much resistance to what he's doing yeah and here everything was like i don't i don't want to say thought out ahead of time because it feels very much like they're improvising a lot in the moment but you can kind of tell a difference between like when you watch um when you watch guys roll and they're you know whether it's jujitsu or like amateur wrestling there's a difference between when you're watching an instructional and the person isn't offering enough resistance and they're just demonstrating the um the technique or you see like uh low level wrestling where like the guy just sort of lets the other person put them in the move and then they just pain or sell the, the the pain and the struggle and try to reverse it or get out or get to the ropes. But here they were like actively working against what one another was doing. And so there's that very real struggle and a lot of callbacks to what they did previously. And then, you know, kind of getting into unique positions that you didn't expect them to. And then bro, the fucking violence, like, bro, they were hitting each other so hard. <laughs> yeah. Like they were hitting each other really hard and, you know, um, it caused quite a bit of commotion. I saw, you know, again, I'm not that plugged in on what's going on Twitter, but I, I don't know the names. I saw something was going on with some Nepo. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but I, I don't even want to speculate because I don't know the people involved. But, you know, there was the thing this past week where Bret Hart was talking about American style wrestling and his interpretation of it. And. I, I felt like that sort of struck a chord with certain segments of different fan bases and they're using that for arguments. And then the clips of this match came out, <laughs> you know, there's people, you know, you know, basically clenching their booty cheeks. Cause they're just fucking, you know, uh, so sensitive to how much better this wrestling is than the wrestling that they watch. And they're like, that's not wrestling. <laughs> and it's like, bro, that, that this is fucking, this is art, bro. At the highest I mean, level. just the grappling alone, like you mentioned, like that looked like they were actually like wrestling each other and trying to get the advantage on each other. And then, yeah, the striking was great. And there were just so many great um, counters and near falls. I mean, this crowd, I, I said, it sounded like there might have been a lot of foreigners because we got a, this is awesome chant at like 25 minutes into the match. A, a lot of like American style chants. There was yes chants. Yeah. They were really into this. And you know what? I, I don't know. Maybe there were foreigners there, but I feel like, you know, we've seen this before in certain towns and Osaka isn't, you know, um, exempt from this where like, if they watch a particular performer and they see how Western, if, if it's a Western performer and they see how Western audiences react to them in their home, uh, like in the States, they'll kind of emulate some of that when it's, 
in Japan if they like revere them enough. And so there was a little bit of that kind of going on here too, which I thought was just really, really, really cool. Um, I did not expect a, this is awesome. Chant or <laughs> yeah. Yes. Did, did they say fight forever? I can't recall. Yeah. There were, there were a few, it wasn't at the whole crowd, but there were some people that were chanting fight forever. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting it. But, you know, those chants, I'm not for me personally, I don't necessarily always love, um, American audiences, even though I'm like one of the most belligerent ones myself when I'm in those, <laughs> those audiences. But um, it, those chants, when they're unearned, I hate them. But when it's a match that like kind of deserves it, like this one deserved it. And yeah, well, it, the, the, it, the problem is that a lot of like American shows, they just, they just want to do it. So like, we'll, we'll go yeah. to like local indie shows and like, Two guys had a double clothesline. They're like, "This is awesome!" I like, no. <laughs> like this is okay. Or like, yeah. yeah, or that you know, it's a, a crazy like crappy plunder match, and people are like fight for it. Like no, wrap this up. <laughs> nothing, nothing makes an audience that's trying to make one of those chants happen better than doing what you just did, like doing the chant, but doing it exaggeratedly and like. uh Kind of sarcastically because then they feel stupid for saying it. <laughs> Fight forever. Like you do that. Like, oh God. And then they just shut up. They stop. Yeah, but all all chants were well uh deserved for this matchup. Dude, the near fall that really got me is when um Zach he hits a release German and he falls it up with the Zach driver. I oh, was yeah. like, oh, because you know, normally nobody kicks up the Zach driver. I was like, oh my gosh, like got him <laughs> bro I, I replayed that like three times because i was like what like it happened so fast yeah um and again there's so many great submission holds and transitions into holes and um then they, they, they turn up with the striking and then towards the end here they had kind of a, a roll-up exchange and um sack was able to catch uh brian with the the roll-up pin here you know um kind of continuing the narrative in the first you know the whole thing here is they're trying to determine who truly is the greatest technical wrestler today and in the first match brian won the match but he won by psycho by sakuni basically a knockout he got a pinfall right yeah yeah but they keep saying knockout like every time they say i'm confused i'm like wait did they do a 10 count but no um but yeah he he beat him with a with a strike and then pinned him and then in this match, um, Zack Sabre Jr. was able to get a crafty, you know, very clean, but a crafty pinfall victory over Brian. And both of these guys' submissions are a huge part of their repertoire. It's in their wheelhouse. And they both claimed in the past they're going to submit one another. And thus far, neither of them has been able to do that. Even though it seems a little bit like Danielson at this stage is more accepting of the results of this match than Zach was of the first match because Zach felt like he took the quote unquote low road. You know, he had to re- resort to, uh, you know, throwing dangerous strikes as opposed to beating him with craftsmanship. And in this match, I feel like Danielson felt like he, you know, Danielson loves a good small package. So he got, <laughs> he got wrapped up and, and he kind of, uh, sort of admires the way he won a little bit, but yeah, Zach, at this point, Zach used techers. what's that? Zach used techers. Yeah. He used technical wrestling, but neither of them have 
submitted one another still. Yeah, and on in the post match, uh, Brian said, you know, they should do it. You know, two out of three falls and kind of a neutral ground. Brian won in America. Zach won in Japan. Find like a, a middle ground, like a neutral ground promotion. Do two out of three falls. Bro, when he said that, I'm like, where the fuck would they go? Like, <laughs> you know, are they gonna what? What's the what's the African um... <laughs> the, the, the Uganda soft ground wrestling? <laughs> Change it up, you know? <laughs> We're bringing in big stars. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> but really, where could they Where could they go? You uh, know? CMLL. Uh, I don't know. Yes. Uh, Spain. Uh, White, White Wolf Wrestling. Do they still exist? <laughs> I don't know. They're going to go to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Uh, t- yeah, TNA, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah, absolutely incredible matchup. I had a few uh, questions here. Uh, Rambo and Slam Pig says, "My assumption is the ZSJ beating Danielson via a tricky kind of pin means the question of who is the greatest technical wrestler remains unresolved, and a third match is likely. Where would you like to see that take place?" Uh, honestly, I-, I don't know. Um, because the first match happened in AEW, the second match happened in New Japan, and I feel like the only logical next step would be one of those two places, unless you know you do it in like England at like Wembley Pro. Yeah, but Wembley, I, I guess Wembley would be like a middle ground. That that's not necessarily new. Like he said, he wanted to do it in neutral territory. Maybe he didn't mean to say that. Maybe he's just talking out of his ass. But mm-hmm. I mean, it would still be an AEW show just in London. So like, Zach would have the home field advantage, but it's also Brian's promotion, yeah. Right. So maybe maybe that's where they do it. But I mean, me personally, I know there's other people that don't want to hear this. I'm still holding out for the idea of Danielson and uh, McGinnis. Yeah. Like, that's what they need to do. But um, I don't, there's not really a big enough stage at this point that's neutral where they could do it. Uh, Like, they're going to sell sell out Arena Mexico? Like, (laughs) you know? Yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know as far as neutral ground, but I think probably Wembley would probably be the next best place to do it, I would think. You, You mentioned it's. Brian's home promotion, Zach's home country. It's a big stage. It's a you know the third match in the tr- trilogy. I think that that would be a good spot to do it if they're going to do a third this year. I'm not a big fan of that. Why? Because uh, Brian's probably got to win. Well, maybe, but then there's the other possibility, the worst possibility. Oh, Zach wins and he's going to AEW. Yeah. <laughs> What happened last time we had a UK guy go to Wembley? He got a fucking tattoo on his arm. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Don't need oh, all that. Yeah, just, uh, just chill. Just, <laughs> let us let us keep one of like you don't got to take them all. Damn, <laughs> <laughs> gotta catch them all. <laughs> Tony Khan's been playing Pokemon this whole time. <laughs> yeah, bro. Just calm down. I'm not even. I'm not even one of the like you know. One of the like gatekeepers that's like fuck AEW, fuck Tony Khan, but I'm like, damn, bro, can you just please <laughs> leave us something? 
please. Like, like bro, we got Chase Owens and Ken to the chair. Please leave us something, man. Bro, that is something I thought about. I was like, we got these guys as champions because Tony Khan's fucking taking everybody. Like, damn. <laughs> oh, man. Um, MJ says, how successful can ZSJ be as the top talent in NJPW? Does his style give you any pause as to how successful he can be? No, um... I don't feel that way. I mean, I know I know we're a show that covers New Japan Pro Wrestling, and I should be able to give you definitive answers about what it takes to be a top star in Japan, but there is a disconnect between what connects for us as an audience and what connects domestically for their actual market. Um, we've seen Zach definitely, like, gain in popularity uh over there but you know if i was just kind of guessing i would say at this stage he still probably hasn't gotten to the level of popularity that say like a will osprey got within the company you know at Mm -hmm. his top um then again i don't see a reason why he couldn't get a top run um similar to like one that shingo had even if it's just as a trial to see where things go as of this current time, I don't see any other Gaijin talent that is going to threaten his top spot. And he seems like the perfect guy to utilize there. When it comes to the wrestling style, I have no problems with that. I think that he he's tailor-made for Japan, and I feel like he would be perfect in that aspect. My concern is, like, can, can he connect with the Japanese audience on that level? You know, on the, like, Kenny Omega, Jay White, will osprey level to where they see him as like the top guy and i i'm optimistic that they can but i don't know what that takes yeah i mean he's already you know very fluent in japan uh japanese he's you know he can, he can speak japanese he cuts promos in, in japanese um he has incredible matches and yeah i think with you know guys like will osprey leaving I think the crowds will look for somebody else to connect to, and yeah, I think that I mean I think they're already connected to him. I think honestly, he just needs to be pushed, and I think the the reactions will come. Uh, I mean, he got great reactions in this match. They they were singing the the Zack Saber Junior. Uh, you know, chant here for him, and uh, I think just put him in more big positions, let him have great matches like he he can, and push him and get him over. I think that he can get to that top level. I think he he can definitely be. Um, IWGP champion. Yeah, I agree. Um, next question here. Uh, he says, ZSJ Danielson 3 in a neutral location. Will it be in Wembley Arena, Mexico, or maybe the Sastai Arena in Saskatoon? Speculate wildly. I feel like we've already covered that, but uh, you know, appreciate the question. Then uh, Dark Soldier says, could we see ultimate submission rules with Brian and Zach? It seems like we're doing two out of three falls. I mean, ultimate submission would be two out of three fall submission match? No, I think ultimate submission is an Iron Man, but you can only win with submission. Hmm. Okay, gotcha. I couldn't recall. I remember, I think, like, Benoit and Angle did one of those, and I can't. Rec- I don't remember yeah, it that. I'm well. pretty. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's Iron Man rules, except you can only win. You can only get points via submission. One thing I did want to mention: um, all throughout this tour, in the backstage comments, and even some on screen, 
Zack Sabre Jr. has been making it very much so known that he intended to face off with Okada in one of his final matches. And when he finally got this win here, I was like, oh, shit. Like, we're about, like, they're going to do something between him and Okada on the way out. Like, mm-hmm. and everybody that's been talking out of their ass about him not putting people over, I'm like, this is it. Like, they he's really going to put see- Zach over. <laughs> yeah, he's going to put Zach over. Like, how did I not see this? I'm so fucking blind. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> and now it's not happening. <laughs> I was like, he's going to, he's going to beat Danielson and then he's going to turn around and beat Okada. And like, fuck, Naito's fucked if that happens. But I guess it's not happening. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, you know, we, we need a new booker, bro. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, hey, I, I, I got, I got some great ideas. I feel like I've got some great ideas, you know. Like put the belt on Zach and have him beat everybody. Yeah, give this man the uh, the hardcore Holly push. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the main event: the Steel Cage Ten Man Tag Team Matchup, the Bullet Club War Dogs of Alex Coughlin and Clark Connors. Dave Finley, Drilla Maloney, and Gabe Kidd defeated the United Empire team of Francisco Akira, Hanare, Jeff Cobb, TJP, and Will Ospreay. 64 minutes and 5 seconds. Yeah, I saw uh, a tweet from Samson. He was saying that this was uh, one of the longest, like, top 5, top 6, like, longest. Yeah, I think 5th uh, longest, I think he said. Yeah, but, but here's the only thing, and I don't, I, I'm, I don't want to credit this to him because I, again, I, I didn't look intently, but I was on a New Japan page and I saw that they listed the island death match between Tiger Jeet Singh and Hiroshi Hase as the longest match, and I don't know if that's what Samsa's thing said or not, but I seem to remember the Anoki. And um, Masa Saito Island Deathmatch being much longer than the second one, uh, but again, I'm not I'm not claiming that Chris said any of that. That's I didn't see that on his. I didn't dig deep enough or read it. I just it it was in the timeline and I just scrolled past it. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I saw somewhere where somebody put that up, and I'm like, I don't think that's right. So I'd be interested. I'll go look at his page and see what he said. I don't know, but. Yeah, at over an hour. I mean, only so many New Japan matches have ever even gone over an hour. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, I absolutely – I thought this match was incredible. They did a great job building the heat and the this rivalry, and it, it all crescendoed perfectly here. Um, opening of the match, we started off with uh, Will Ospreay and Finley. Uh, in which uh, the the original rules, you know, they were doing war game style rules where every two minutes somebody will come out, but Osprey was like, no, you know, I, I want more time with you to start this off, and so they had negotiated a, a five minute opening round period. Well, he said ten, right? He said ten, but Finley said five. Yeah, and that bro, when he said ten, I was like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need ten minutes. It's too long. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. But yeah, so Finley negotiated and said, well, we'll, we'll do five. So started with five. Um, and then out next uh, came uh, Drill Maloney 
for the War Dogs. He came out with uh, his you know string of forks and looking like he came straight out of a Rambo movie. Uh, then you had Hanare uh, coming out. Uh, then Clark Connors came out next from the War Dogs, and then TJP came out from the Empire. Uh, then you had Alex Coughlin making his entrance, uh, carrying uh, dozens of chairs uh, on his arms. Then uh, you had Francisco Akira coming in next, coming in with the, the big dive off of the cage. Uh, Gabe Kid coming in after that, and then Jeff Cobb um, for the last guy for the United Empire. And man, this match was bloody. It was brutal. It was violent. Uh, these guys did a lot of crazy uh, spots in this matchup. I saw online. Uh, I wasn't spoiled as, as to the result, but I saw a picture of the cage, but I saw it from an upward angle. And so I just saw that they had the black wire and I was like, oh my God, these cheap motherfuckers brought out the Konami death cage from the early to that early to mid 2000s and just recycled that shit. Um, and it turns out maybe they did. They might have. I don't know, but um the, the cage setup that they used was not quite the same setup that we saw for like, say the, um, the Tanahashi Murakami match or the match with uh, Chono and, um, and uh, who do you wrestle again? Takayama. And um, if you notice one thing that was cool, they actually put both of those cage matches up on new Japan world um, mm-hmm. just the other day. So they're available to watch now. I know a lot of people, wanted to see them just out of like curiosity. I would love for them to put up the, the, um, the matches from, um, whatever that, what was the side promotion they used to do in Cork and hall lockup? Yeah. Yeah. I wish they'd put the lockup cage matches cause I've never seen those, but, uh, anyways, I, I digress. So, um, the cage that they put up was not, on the ring it was on the outside basically sort of protecting the the audience from all the the carnage that was going on and the cage itself like only went up probably like eight feet and some people didn't like that but like me being like a czw like old head i love this it was like the cage of death bro Mm -hmm. this reminded me a lot of the specifically the 2006 cage of death the one between uh czw versus roh and this was you know, at first when I saw that, because the, the the other thing I was spoiled about was that the match was was over an hour, which I wish I hadn't seen that, but I knew it going into it. And I was like, fuck it, an hour long <laughs> war games match like this goes against everything I, I know about the way war games should be worked. Then I start watching the match and I was like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. This isn't war games. This is cage of death and cage of death is a long ass match. This is, you know. I understand that they share some DNA, but this is a totally entire different gimmick entirely. Um, so I had no problem with the way, the way it all basically unfolded. And um, it was just fucking insane. Like I, I, there's no way we can run down every single spot. I highly recommend you watch this match for me personally, right now, this is my match of the year. It might get overtaken, but as of now, um, my match of the year. I think it's probably amongst or maybe is the most violent. And when I say violent, I 
kind of put this in a different category. Like I wouldn't put this in the strong style fight of the year category necessarily, not in that sort of violence, not like in the Ilya versus Walter type of, you know, hard hitting matches. But when we're talking about blood and guts, you know, in new Mm. Japan, I can't recall they've had death matches. They've had gimmick matches and I can't recall very many that have this much. In fact, the one thing I loved when they started the match, they had the um, they had the canvas with all of the logos and the line mark. They removed it, yeah. And they removed it <laughs> because they knew that it was going to get so bloody. They didn't want to to sully the names of all of their their fucking sponsors. Right. And have all that blood on, so they just removed it and put a straight blue canvas. And I was like, oh, that's incredible! Like that just sets the expectation. Like we're about to see something really really violent yeah and charleston was saying yeah you know this is not strong styles this is this is you know this we don't want this on the line marks like (laughs) that's why we removed it and yeah man this was just so crazy and some of the key moments um also i mentioned you know akira jumping off the cage uh for his entrance uh at some point in the match hanare got like some huge gash on the back of his head i think it was on the top yeah, top of his head. Because uh, obviously they bandaged it, like, yeah, all around his head. Yeah, bro, he looked like he had the mumps, like, in the old, like, television shows. Like, it was yeah. wrapped all around <laughs> his head. Like, and I, I asked a lot of people, like, did you see what happened? And I might want to go back and rewatch. Actually, I'd probably re- want to go back and rewatch the, the top end of this card in general. But um, I, I want to see where where hypothetically the accident happened. Cause I didn't notice that he was hurt or out of the match. And then, then he just rolls back up and his whole fucking head is bandaged. Like he's Kenny Omega at the uh, press conference. <laughs> for Yeah. So, yeah. So he's all bandaged. I don't know how that happened, but clearly very nasty cut. He, you know, he still comes back in. There's a nice little sequence with Gabe kid. Uh, there's a spot with um, Akira with, uh, you know, the whole thing, build this match he was kind of spooked by the war dogs after they, they jabbed him with the fork and mm-hmm. he wanted no part of this and like i mentioned you know drilla had that whole you know belt of forks and uh, eventually it came down to the part where yeah he got the fork and he jabbed in akira and akira like immediately just gushed open blood and he looks at it and he just goes crazy then he gets a fork and he's jabbing drilla with it he's dr- jabbing clark with it and kind of like finally got over his fear of them that was a cool moment there I do have a complaint, um, not about the match, but about production. So when we first got the new quote-unquote NJPW world, they said that we were going to get new HD streams and that it was going to get better. And you know what? At first, like the very first stream I ever did, I I swear to God, it did come through clearer than it had before. But now, Bro, it's it the same. It's, it's the same. And... In a match like this, with even though the cage wasn't obstructing the view too much most of the time because of the, the nature of the cage being on the floor and not being super tall, just the fact that they had so many weapons and so many guys and so many things happening and, and even the cage, like my bit frame rate, I don't I'm not tech savvy, so I don't know what you call it, but like the shit was lagging and was very like cloudy, and I'm like, this is awful. Like this is probably 
maybe an ingenious way to get me to tune in to access TV to actually see the real version of this. But like, fuck, like this sucks. Like I had a really tough time actually seeing what was happening. Um, some of the time with that, but they were, they were just, they built this matchup in such a great way. Obviously will, this is his final match and he wasn't really on the tour too much. And so a lot of the spotlight was, kind of off him and was sort of needed to be carried by his teammates. And like Jeff Cobb had the injury, he got, you know, attacked um, in the lead up to this and he, he was going in hurt. You kind of ran down the, the ongoings between catch two, two and bull club war dogs, the junior team, especially like Francesco Akira. Um, there's sort of been a little bit of tension under the surface as to the stability of the United Empire leading into this match with like some of the comments that uh, Ocon has made behind the scenes and then kind of this sort of power grab that TJP has been kind of angling for, talking about taking on new challenges and manning the ship and taking over the helm and blah, blah, blah. And so there's a little bit of all that sort of playing in here and then the incredible match with Hinari and, and um, Gabe Kidd and you know, everyone talking about the stuff with Gabe Kidd and, and, um, um, Hanare. No, Finley. Oh, yeah. Was the, the, yeah, their issues. yeah. Yeah. And, bro, like this version of, of Bullet Club is got to be the most, it might not be the most popular, it might not be the most marketable, but it's the most violent. And, like, I, I, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not the biggest Finley fan in the world, although I think they've done a good job with him post wrestle i didn't love the build to his match at wrestle kingdom but post wrestle kingdom they've kind of leaned back into the early iteration of him as the leader of the bull club that we were sort of praising at mm-hmm. the time yeah but it, these war dogs that are under him they're fucking incredible they they all look like greek gods and they're all badasses and they're all wild as fuck and they don't care <laughs> they don't give a fuck about their bodies and bro they're trying to get over so bad and they're just putting it all on the line and like for anybody that had shit to say about okada and the way he walked out of this company and the way he's leaving in the business that he didn't do quote unquote you need to be just as loud about the business that osprey has done on the way out and the people that he has put spotlight on and the people that he has helped to get over and like this entire United empire vehicle, this entire feud and him doing a clean ass job to David Finley twice in the span of a month. Like mm-hmm. that's crazy. Plus, you know, he put over Okada, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, um, yeah, definitely this whole feud helped elevate the war dogs and help elevate United empire. You know, even uh Cal Newman, there was a spot there where, you know, he came, yep. he came out with the double os cutter and Osprey's really been putting him over. So, yeah, there was so much great stuff that Osprey did here to get people over. And, yeah, again, with some of the other key moments, you had a spot where, like, Coglin's eating the kendo stick shots and he's, like, standing there and eating the kendo stick. He looks like such a badass, bro. Yeah. Like, and there's just so much. And then, like, they set the ladder up and then you forgot about it, the old Kenny Omega trick, and then they went through it later. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, we can address it. This match, you know, for a lot of people, the one thing uh, I've heard a lot of people say is like, you know, the first 45 minutes are enthralling. And then like the last 15 are like, they pass the peak and there, there might be something to that. But for me personally, the ghoul 
in me. I love when they when they tear a fucking ring apart. And like, <laughs> maybe for some people that is one of those things where it's like they the action has the there's a stall in the action, there's a mm. gap, and they're it, it, from there it doesn't flow like there's not the same momentum. But bro, I don't I don't know why but I love <laughs> when they fucking tear a ring apart. And let me tell you something: as somebody who's put a ring together before, I've always been told by people that wrestled in New Japan that they have the most beautiful rings. They were not lying to see what the ring actually looks like, dude. They got two different, like they have two different levels of foam under there that look pristine. Like they look so good. <laughs> and then, and then the the boards they they don't have the full length boards going across the twenty by twenty. They've got um, ten and ten. So like I can only imagine that 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 ring's probably incredible to bump it because there's so much motion for everything to dissipate in. Like yeah, that that and even just everything about that ring is incredible but um when they 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 tore the ring apart the war dogs did which to me i also enjoyed because it spoke to what started this feud back at new year's dash where they were tearing the arena apart mm-hmm. and they needed to be contained you know and that was the whole purpose of the cage that kind of was what was happening here like these guys tore the fucking ring apart and like it started to get dangerous to where like the boards were like breaking and falling in and people like were legitimately trying to like bump and do do shit. And like mm-hmm. the ring was like not safe. And for me, I just love that chaos and that energy and that kind of danger and unpredictability to where to me that elevated the, the crescendo of the match. And I'm like, fuck it. You already went 45 minutes. You guys might as well just do the <laughs> damn thing. Let's let's send this thing over the top tear that bitch up and then you know and then for the whole match to kind of in the in the lead up to it you always sort of felt like francesco akira was going it was going to come down to him because he was sort of the weak link mm-hmm. and for osprey to for those to be the last two kind of remaining guys and he protected sacrificed him. himself to save francesco akira so he could fight another day and then he ends up being the only guy to take every and they and they Fucked Will Ospreay. Hit him everything. Oh, and how cool was the shit he did with the ladder, bro? Oh, you're talking about the... Um, Earlier in the match. The double... Um, the Pele kick kind of thing he did? Yeah, I seen him do that exact same spot against... Um, uh, against Aussie Open in a um, TLC match from Progress a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's still, it's still just incredible. Yeah, that was great. Like, the way that Will Ospreay can be Will Ospreay in a match like this... Was incredible. Um, there's a spot where he went through the ladder uh, with Gabe Kid. That was a nasty looking bump. Uh, I mean, just there's so many crazy stuff here. But for me, I was one of those guys that said it. I think it went a little bit past the peak. Like for me, I, I I'm still think this is a match of the year contender. I'm four point seven five on it. But for me, I did feel like this part where they were ripping their ring up, like. Normally, I don't have a problem with that, but I just felt like that was so long. And then the whole scenario of them, like, literally kind of fumbling through these boards. Like, guys, were, like you mentioned, like, they're legitimately trying to do the next spot, and they are falling through the ring. Oh, I love that. Because the board, I'm like, dude, this is. <laughs> I love it. Because, because there were so many times in the match already where my mouth was just agape because I knew that this was going to be wild and crazy. I knew it was going to be violent, but it really exceeded my expectations in so many ways about that i just never predict i knew that they were going to do something 
that was mind blowing, but this was kind of beyond what I expect, especially in a new Japan ring. Like this was just way past what I expected. Yeah. But besides that, I think it was, it was still incredible matchup, super violent, super bloody. And towards the end here, how it concluded, they, like you mentioned, they hit the double uh, the spike power driver on Akira. And that's when Osprey came in and protected him and rolled him out the ring. And then they also rounded Osprey. They, uh, Os- uh, Finley got on his knees and was like, you know, I'll give you one shot. Go ahead and do your best. And then Osprey tried to do the hidden blade, but he couldn't get it done. And uh, then from the. I didn't, I didn't love that personally. But, you know, here's the thing. I will say this I don't even really love the melodrama stuff that much, but sometimes when it's done well it really lands and like i felt like this this whole group they stuck the landing and like i'm not gonna sit here and make bold proclamations and be like you know finley they got something with this finley it's gonna work (laughs) out we were right all along no i i I don't know if i believe that but like damn if osprey's not trying to make that shit work like (laughs) yeah he he was trying to get this man over uh so yeah he He goes so hard to get him over (laughs) So yeah, he he couldn't do, hit the hidden blade, and then um, Drilla and Connors hit their uh, high low on him, and then uh, Finley does his uh, he does the into oblivion, and then he does his new finisher that um, like cross knee strike thing, um, and I think it's called the cross strike. Yeah, cross strike, and gets the pin one two three, clean the sheet. Uh, Finley over uh, pinning Will Osprey again, uh, second time like you mentioned in a month, and yeah, the War Dogs. Stand tall here, the run wild, and like we said, like there's still like so many other spots and moments and stuff that yeah we can't recap it all here. Definitely go out of your way, watch this match. You know we we uh, retweeted some of the the clips from the match that uh, they posted on uh, New Japan's uh, New Japan World's Twitter account, and yes, yeah, absolutely bloody violent, great stuff. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to top this match. Yeah, and now, you know, we're kind of left. And one thing, too, they, even though the War Dogs won, they kind of just got up in the camera's face, you know, proclaimed themselves the winner, yada, yada, and then went to the back. And that sort of left the United Empire out there, even though they were the losers, to kind of do the big goodbye for Will to do the emotional, you know, post-match promo and basically tell everybody like i will come back to new japan one day i promise you and everything like that that was a great moment but now in at the end of it all we're sitting here wondering like well what the fuck is next like what's happening is united empire staying together are they separating like where's this going are they getting a new leader are we going to see it split into you know um like the aew version like the bullet club is or whatever the fuck (laughs) Uh, uh, you gold <laughs> and then what's what's up you know for bullet club i mean you know this is just my opinion I, I i feel like this is the first truly significant thing that's happened for the bullet club in in a positive way in year like probably the last time i felt positive about the bullet club was like that time when juice and Jay White came back at Dominion, and they like started fucking everybody up. Oh, Remember that? The swerve, the juice swerve, the the swerve. Yeah. yeah, that and that was a night where it was like, oh, the Bull Club's in full effect again. But since and that was, you know, a year and a half ago. It's been a while, but this was like I know that like Finley won the title, and I know like the different groups have had title wins, and but nothing has ever really felt like solidifying 
for these guys. And the, to me, this was like, holy shit, they're a force to be reckoned with. They got stars on their hands for real. Yeah. Um, yeah, these guys are incredible and you definitely need to work to keep all these guys. Cause yeah, they went out here, they killed themselves for this company in this match. And yeah, I think they're, they're worthy of a push and yeah, I think, yeah, bull club that they, they need to strap the rocket to these guys. And, you know, Connors and, and uh, or not Con- uh, Coglin and kid, like they're, why aren't they the IWGB tag team champions? <laughs> yeah. Remember, uh, not that I want to say anything positive about him, because let's be very clear, the man's a fucking rapist, but do you remember in um, Wrestling with Shadows, or maybe it's not Wrestling with Shadows, it might be, I was going to say Beyond the Map, but it might not even be that, but like, do you remember when, um, I don't remember if it was when Foley came off the top of the cell, or if it was the I Quit match, but basically he's backstage with uh, Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon's like, thank you for what you've done for this company. (laughs) Yeah. I don't ever want to see you do anything like that ever again. Like somebody from management from Bushy road or the office or whatever the fuck needs to like grab an and be like, thank you for what you've done <laughs> for this company. <laughs> but I don't ever want to see you do that again. Cause apparently like I was reading some of the um, stuff. Will said, Will's like, bro, I was really like legit scared for this guy's life. Like I thought like, I like you could see like the inside of his head, like, you know, and he's like, I thought he was, he lost so much blood. I thought it was over. And then for him to come out there and thug it out and like have the huge spots that he had and every like, it's amazing. Yeah, dude. I was, it was so crazy. Cause he was down for a long time. The, the doctors in there working with him on the floor. Bro, I didn't notice any of that. Yeah. I saw, I saw when the doctors came in, but I didn't see like what, ha- like I have to watch it, rewatch it. Cause I was like, stuff was just happening. And I was like, oh, you know, he, he's just selling. And then, the doctors come in the cage and yeah, they're, they're working on him. I'm like, damn, like he must be really messed up. If like they have a doctor in there and they're trying to like wrap him up. And, but yeah, this match was just, this is the best cage match I've seen since young bucks and Lucha brothers. Yeah. Easily. Got a lot of questions about it. We should probably run through those quick. Yeah. So, uh, Rambone says, uh, Drilla Maloney's, uh, Bandoiler forks may be one of the best things I saw all night. Thoughts on how far Drilla has come from the, his first appearances in NJPW until now. I am really impressed with his glow up. Yeah. He's incredible, man. Like that. This man's working with a no bicep. Yeah. You know, torn, pulling a Tanahashi. Yeah. Torn bicep. But yeah, dude, just the way that he's come from the first time I ever seen him was in WWE NXT and mm. uh, NXT UK. Uh, from where he's come from there to now, incredible progress. And yeah, in Rev Pro, Rev Pro run's been great. But yeah, I think he's really come to the next level being in New Japan. This whole uh, run with the War Dogs, like yeah, he's a man. Um, Navef in the Discord says, "My question for this week is: Can we have more fork fork bandoilers <laughs> in wrestling? Also, what is your favorite weapon in wrestling?" Oh shit! Um, what is my favorite weapon in wrestling? Um, oh, I mean, it it's got to be the barbed wire bat wrapped in uh, yeah, the the bat wrapped in barbed wire. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um. I don't know. I, I'm kind of a sucker for kendo sticks just because they, they're loud. They make that loud noise. They leave the marks. It's like, you're going to, you're going to feel it. <laughs> you should watch some street fights from WWE. They got plenty of those. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Diego says, who should beat Finley? His pick would be Suji. I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't really care who beats him. I love that white belt, though. God, yeah. that belt is so beautiful. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Stale Burger Bun says, now we've seen him in action a few times. Where does the ass wang rank on the power level chart of wrestling monsters? Low. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, there was a spot here where uh, TJP goes under the ring, uh, comes back out as the Oswong. I did not want him to come out as the Oswong. And I'm like, why? This. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, and I feel, and because it's like, because it's so tied in with like Filipino folklore, I feel racist for not liking it. Or, you know, I feel like me saying Aswang is like almost maybe potentially like, you know, problematic, but I fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the Oswang. I hate it. Yeah. It's it, terrible. It's not great. Um, Dark Soldier, did we just see NJPW's own war games of not complaining the match is an immediate match of the year contender? If not number one, just interesting that we got it with some moderate build giving how WWE and AWs hype up their war games. No, because this is not war games. Yeah, and even with so, like, I thought the build for this was great, incredible. Let me let me break it down for you guys. Very simple. War games. Very simple match. Two rings. One steel cage with a roof that go that covers both rings. The bad guys always have the advantage in a proper war games match. Everybody in the match has to be super fucking over for the match to work. And then what you do is you have the good guy come in. Bomb, bomb, bomb. He beats up the bad guy. He's winning. Oh, no. A new bad guy comes in. He gets the advantage. Now they're beating him up. Now there's blood. And guess what? Boom. An incredible baby face comes in. Starts lighting everybody up. They feed. They bump. He gets a pop. And the same thing happens four more times. The whole match is just bad guys coming in, getting advantages, and then good guys coming in and wrecking house and getting huge pops. And then... By the time everybody's in the match, this is not where the match starts and everything that happened before it is irrelevant. This is the crescendo of the match where all the work that was done was so violent and so painful that the people that have been in there since the first two rounds are so fucking beat up that they probably are not going to last another like three or four minutes. And the match ends suddenly with a decisive victory. And that's it. The, the match does not go another 30, 40 minutes after <laughs> that period. That's War Games. War Games is a match about star power, pops, bumping and feeding, bleeding, and a quick, decisive victory. It should never go like past 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. Every single AEW and WWE and NXT War Games match goes like 40-something minutes. And there's a and I don't know why they always bring in a ton of weapons because the ring is a double steel cage match. It's already filled with a fucking weapon. It's called the cage. You use the cage. They don't, they literally don't get the psychology of the match, but the main thing is in order for that match to work, everybody has to be stars. Mm-hmm. If, if they're not stars and they're not over and they won't get the pop from their entrance into the ring, then it, it won't work. Basically, 
the same psychology that makes the Royal Rumble popular because of the entrances and everyone like popping for that. That's what makes war games work. One thing that was different about this match, aside from just like the only thing that really makes it similar to war games is the fact that yes, there's a cage. Yes, there's teams and yes, they have staggered entries, but like the fact that their entrances were coming from the back and you didn't know who was coming in and they all came in with their music. That was something that really kind of differentiated it from like war games where you have like the teams waiting there, like trying to get in and game planning and like, they weren't doing all that. This, this match was basically, I know it sounds like it's almost the same and and in some ways it is, but it's a lot closer to cage of death or what you used to see in TNA with lethal lockdown. It's a lot Mm. closer to lockdown and a lot closer to cage of death than it is to an actual war games match. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you, you were talking, we were messaging and we we're talking about before you had watched it and you, you know, heard it was like an hour long and you're like, I can't watch hour long war games. And I'm like, man, you just got to realize that no modern day promotion is going to do war games the way you want them to do war games. I was like, not WV, NXT, MLW, AW, <laughs> there's not going to get But there's them. no reason they shouldn't. It'd be like, it'd be like doing the Royal Rumble but not in the way that Pat Patterson laid it out. That was so successful, you know? Well, that they're not doing it that way. <laughs> I know they're not. And, and nobody that has tried to do war games has gotten it right. Nobody. Yeah. The AEW matches like are, some of them have been good, but like they, they don't get it. Honestly, whoever is agenting those matches just doesn't get the logic of what war games is. Yeah. Uh, let's see uh, Next question here from the French Ted It's a simple one What's next for United Empire I think they're probably going to be led by You know a sex pest Is what it sounds like It sounds like um, I don't know We got these We'll talk about it in the news But we got matches where You know Matt Riddle is linked up with them And I have no clue Yeah uh, and last question here about this match from uh, Bung Holyo the Mighty. If you had to choose, which is better and is match of the year contender, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson 2 or the Bullet Club War Dogs versus United Empire cage match? That's a, a bro, I don't know. I really, that's what bro, makes this such a great show. I don't know. It's a toss up. Yeah. I, I rated both matches the same. Um, coward rating 4.75. Um, definitely. I, I'm, I'm personally picking the the war games match, but I wouldn't be surprised and I wouldn't argue with anybody that yeah. picked the, I mean, yeah, they're just, they're great in their own, their own ways. It's hard to compare an hour long blood feud, you know, plunder match cage match to a straight up one-on-one technical mastery, hard hitting match. Like they're two completely different styles of matchups. Um, and in my opinion, both great in different ways. Um, so, you know, we were talking about, um, Okada and kind of what's next for him and, uh, Fightful Select reported on Sunday that Okada is expected to sign with AEW following his departure, uh, from NJPW. According to the report, the deal between Okada and AEW was effectively agreed to in the last couple of weeks, but Fightful has not confirmed that the contract has been signed. So, that news came out, and then the news of what Okada's last two matches were going to be, and we had a question from our friends over at the Super J Cast. How are you feeling about those last two Okada matches? <laughs> 
So I'll do the rundown here. February 23rd, we have night one of New Beginning in Sapporo from the Haikato Perfectual Sports Center. Um, and the fourth match of the night, we have the chaos team of Goto, Okada, Ishii, Yo, and Yoshihashi taking on the United Empire team of Callum Newman, Francesco Akira, Great Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb. And then the following night on the 24th from the same building, um, the third match of the night, we have Goto, Okada, Ishii, Yoshihashi, along with Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on the United Empire's Akira, Great Okan, Hanare, and Jeff Cobb, as well as Matt Riddle. Those are the final two matches of this run of Kazushika Okada in New Japan. Um, Boy. Not not any sort of gauntlet, not any sort of title challenge, not any sort of um, nostalgic, you know, meaningful singles or tag match, not even the interfactional send-off match where, you know, multi-man tag team, like nothing like that. It's like he's just there as a bit player for, I guess, what I can assume is uh, a building feud between chaos and the United empire. But, you know, we're kind of at a point where we don't know what the future of either of these two teams are right now. Mm-hmm. They, they they both might be on the chopping block with them, both losing their leaders and not having a strong leader waiting in the, the wings to sort of be that guy. So I don't know, but this, if anybody was in doubt about the reports of the issues with management and Okada and the way that things went down in his exit from the company. I mean, look no further. They got this man, you know, basically third and fourth from the top on, on two Sapporo shows. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, at that point, like why even bother making the deal? Cause he had to sign these matches as a freelancer. Why even bother? Like the Tanahashi match would have been the perfect way to send him off and be his last match. What was the point of making him do these last two matches if you're just going to stick him in a, you know, multi-man opening card matchup? Well, it's like maybe it's like WWE is him like you advertise him for the show, but then they don't tell you what match you're going to get. And then when you find out the match, like, fuck, like, I don't <laughs> got your money, kid. Yeah, we got your money. kid. We already sold you a ticket. But uh, yeah, it's it's weird. And I mean, there's a part of me that's like, you know, lately there's this part of me with new Japan and their booking where I'm like, you just never know. Sometimes not all the time, but sometimes they do something that's really different ground breaking, like an incredible angle. But more often than not, I'm always left disappointed because they don't do the bold, exciting, fresh thing that you might expect them to potentially do when an opportunity like this is given to them. So, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, it could be interesting something interesting could be coming out of this, but you know what? It'll probably end up just being Okada hitting the rainmaker on Cal Newman. If that, it might just be like a road to tag match where he's like there, he's hitting rainmakers, but then he's on the outside while the, whoever it is, is doing the finish and he's just a non-factor into the finish and the story. He's just there. Like the story's not really about him. You know, he's just the guy in the match. And it's like, like you said, why are we doing this? And, Kind of just tells me, like, I think it honestly, I think it's a bit of like a cash grab. Like, he he was advertised for the shows. He wants to honor his commitment, so he's going to make the date. But at the same time, they don't want to 
put him over again and they don't want to have and he he's not willing to lose and they don't have anything they, they don't want to give him the the, the grand send-off so that's just what we're left with which is dramatically unsatisfying no matter what camp you're in when it comes to to the whole okada you know exodus thing but um for the remainder of the show um going back to the 23rd we have a uh, frontier zone kickoff tag team match with tomoya and yano taking on shoma kato and hanma um second match of the night singles match between yuji nagata and zack saber jr third match of the night oleg bolton taguchi and hanma taking on the house of tortures narita Kanemaru and Yujiro. Uh, we already ran through the fourth match of the night. The fifth match is the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Suji taking on all five members of Just Five Guys, which uh, I feel like we're getting a little long in the tooth for the five on five in, of this series. <laughs> and then um, the sixth match of the night, we have Mayu Iwatani versus Mina Shirakawa for the IWGP women's uh, title. Seventh match of the night, Desperado versus Show for the IWGP gp junior heavyweight title eighth match of the night evil versus umino for the never open weight uh the semi-main event tanahashi versus matt riddle for the world television title and then the main event is david finley versus nick nemeth for the iwgb global heavyweight title and then on the following night we have a kickoff frontier zone tag match with tomoya yano versus murashima and hanma second match of the night despy bolton umino and Makabe, as well as Yo, taking on the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Evil, Narita, Show, and Yujiro. Uh, we already went through the third match of the night. The fourth match is G.O.D. versus G.O.D. So that's Tamatonga and Tingaloa versus El Fantasma and Hikaleo. Um, the fifth match of the night, Nick Nemeth and Taguchi <laughs> <laughs> taking on Bull Club War Dogs team of Finley and Ghetto. Sixth match of the night, Takamichinoku versus Bushi. Seventh match, uh, Hiromu versus Doki. The eighth match, Tai Chi versus Shingo. Semi-main event, Suji versus Yumura in a hair versus hair match. And then the main event is Naito versus Sonata for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Um, in my opinion, I think night one is much more stacked than night two. But mm-hmm. there's some good stuff on both all, both cards. Um, Less Commission 7252 says, how big are you guys on Fantastic Mania? When it, oh, that's a Fantastic Mania question. So... Uh, before we move on, any quick thoughts about these two shows? Uh, I think both cards look really good. Um, I'm really, I think the Lij versus Just Five Guys series will be pretty good. That last half of the card there, they've uh, also there's issues there, but I think each apart from the ten man tags, I think it'll come out a lot better. And I think you know Suji and Yamura have a chance to steal a show as well as like Taichi and Shingo. Um, so that should be all fun. And then, yeah, looking forward to see what uh, Nick Nemeth is going to do uh, in an NJPW ring and how, if, yeah, how this is going to go with Finley. Is he going to beat Finley in the first match or is Finley going to beat him? So I think there's some intrigue there. So, yeah, it should be a fun card. Well, we had that question that I referenced from um, looking through the from Les Commission. He says, how big are you guys on Fantastic Mania when it comes around? Yearly in Japan, this is my second full year watching the full tour after it was canceled in 2020 to 2022 due to the pandemic. Well, Les Commission, we have been reviewing every Fantastic Mania since we started this podcast. So that would have been the, the 2018 Fantastic Mania would have been our first one. And we've watched them um, ever since. Um, so, yeah, we, we're big on it. We treat it like it's a part of you know the tours. We watch them, review them. 
uh, break them down, and you know they're usually very highly entertaining. Um, so yeah, we're all about Fantastic Media. I do have some issues with this year's uh, tour, though. Number one, um, I don't love the idea of Fantastic Mania happening in the middle of all the storylines that are taking place with New Beginning. It's I agree. like it's a weird way to kind of break things up, and it's like there's compelling stories happening right now that are going to be put on hold for like two weeks before they like pick back up again, which is strange. Yeah, because uh, normally they do. Like New Beginnings over, then you do Fantastic Mania, then you transition into New Japan Cup. Used to be that you got this in January slash February before New Beginning. After after uh Wrestle Kingdom, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Wrestle Kingdom sometimes. So I don't know. Um the other thing too is like honestly, this lineup that they've brought over, not not just from the New Japan side, but from the CMLL side, it's not the strongest offering of stars and matches that they've ever had in the past. Um which like right now um, CMLL is kind of going through this like resurgence period and like a Renaissance era. And I don't know, this just like when I'm looking at what we have the last few nights, there are some great singles matches, but by and large, this is probably the least excited I've been for a Fantastic mania since we've ever done the show. It just, it, it's, it's a thinner tour than it, they, they usually have. Yeah, it does seem like some of the familiar faces are, are missing from the tour. Uh, I saw some some of the top stars are still there, but yeah, I feel like they, they normally bring more people over, and it's usually I don't know. There's usually more hype around it. So um, we had the first night take place from Edion Arena in Osaka. This was earlier today, uh, or actually yesterday, the twelfth. Um, I'll just kind of run through the results. It was a short show. There were six matches. And then I guess we can just kind of give our overall thoughts on the show as a, as a whole. Mm -hmm. So um, Defunto teamed up with Doki. They defeated uh, the Bull Club team of Bone Soldier Jr., which, spoiler alert, is just Taiji Shimori uh, teaming with Ghetto. Um, After that, there was a lightning match between Magnus taking on Tiger Mask. They wrestled to a 10-minute time limit draw. Third match of the night, the LIG team of Bushi, Naito, and Teton teaming up with Kamaitachi, who is just Hiromu. In, no, 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 no. That is the new Kamaitachi. Hiromu is the manager, Mr. Takahashi. He's the I, manager. Until I see them in the same room at the same time, <laughs> that's Hiromu. They defeated the team of Brillante Jr., El Desperado, Taguchi, and Stigma. Fourth match of the night, Okamura, Strong Machine J., uh, from Dragon Gate and Yo, they defeated Dark Panther, Pegaso, and Tomaki Hanma. Semi-main event, Hechicero, Rocky Romero, and Soberano Jr. defeated Atlantis Jr., Templario, and Volador Jr. And then in your main event, the team of Tanahashi, Mascara Dorada, and Mystico defeated Francesco Akira, Stuka Jr., and Ultimo Guerrero. 14 minutes and 53 seconds. Yeah, I mean, overall, kind of a, a fine night. I mean, it's kind of hard to follow up you know, new beginning in Osaka with, like you mentioned, it's kind of jarring. We just got done with this whole blood feud and now we're switching over to Fantastic Mania. It's kind of weird. Uh, but yeah, I mean, fine show. Uh, the main event was cool. You have, you know, the ace of New Japan, the ace of CMLL and Mystico and the, the guy that are trying to push it, the future ace in uh, Mascara Dorada 2.0. So that was a fun kind of ace team there going up against Akira, Stuka, and Ultimo. Uh, yeah, I thought that that was the 
only match of the night where I was like, if you're looking for the one recommended, like, what should I watch? That's the one that was like really fun, high flying. Tanahashi did a a plancha to the outside. <laughs> um, I also loved his face paint. He had president all over. Yeah, Presidente written all over his face. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of the night, you know, um, Mystico is famous for being the guy that just stays in the crowd, uh, <laughs> you know, glad handing everybody and, yeah. and all that and soaking up the glory. Tanahashi's like, you're not doing that alone. Tanahashi like stayed neck and neck with him and like basically like stayed at the same pace with him and like didn't leave until he left. Yeah, so I thought that shit was funny. Uh, that was funny. Um, so yeah, that was a good main event. Um, I hilarious. Uh, so for Kamatachi, his music. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> his music is they don't have the rights for it, but instead of you know playing some like generic, you know, rock music or stock music, whatever they have, they have Hiromu like humming the song bro you're doing it better than he did it like he did it so like lazily like like it doesn't even sound like it and then at one point did did you listen to the whole song or not yeah he's like he takes a breath he's like at one point at one point he goes he like pops into the fucking thing bro I was so confused at first cause like you know Walker's like talking and then like I'm hearing this noise. I'm like, where's yeah. that, where's that coming from? Do I have something on my computer that's making that noise? I'm like, what's going oh, on? We forgot to mention that Hiroshi Tanahashi came out to high energy. Oh yeah, the for, before. Yeah, they didn't have the right to it. But they didn't have the right, so we couldn't hear it. Oh man. But yeah, um, I do like the new Kamatachi outfits a lot better than what he used to wear in Mexico. But um also I don't I, I don't like the idea. Here's the I I don't know. I guess I'm just I was gonna say, like, I don't like the idea that he lost his mask and now he's wrestling with the mask again. But I guess it doesn't matter. He, like, he's Japanese. It's not. It's not real. Like, whatever. But um, uh, yeah, there there was the controversy in the beginning of the evening. Bone Soldier Junior, for whatever reason, decided to do the uh, hail the Hitler. Nazi, yeah, the hail Hitler Nazi salute. Which uh, I don't know if you saw, but they've actually scrubbed that out of the the version that's online now. Like no, they, I, I didn't see that. Yeah, now if you're watching it, it just tra- like he's standing there, and then it just transitions, and you don't see it happen. So clearly, like someone told him, like, yeah, you, you shouldn't be doing this. But like, I, I've been watching anime for a long time, and like, I, I don't know why, but like Japanese like people, or I don't want to say Japanese people, like like as a monolith, but like for whatever reason, in Japanese anime, they have Nazi shit all like problematic nazi shit in in anime all the time so like i kind of get the vibe like maybe this is somewhat it is uh, somebody in our discord but it's like it's from some anime character he's trying to like replicate yeah because i've seen it in anime over there like a lot and i don't know i I don't know what the deal is but yeah maybe don't do that uh and also they've done they've this isn't the first time like nazi stuff has happened in new japan before like they've had it you know, uh, other times too. Um, so yeah. Um, Mac, the Magnus match with tiger mask was, I felt like kind of a bore. He did, uh, kind of wear a homage to black tiger, but like, I don't think they needed to go the 10 minute time limit. And I feel like this is going to be the annual, you know, on the rest of the tour, we'll see tiger mask and Magnus like wrestle, you know, until like they do some blow off later on in the tour, Mm -hmm. which is fine. 
Um, I don't have much more. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the semi-main event was also fairly good. I didn't think it was as good as the main event, but it was not bad. This, this whole show though, honestly, if you want my honest opinion, I don't think it needed to make tape. Like it felt like a, like a real true house show that was like, why should just wait it until like, you're ready to do the like Corkin shows. Yeah. They, they could have started off with the, the, the show that's coming Friday and go from there. Uh, but is what it is happened. Fine show. I would say watch anything, watch the main event and go from there. I thought Walker did a good job on his own for what it's worth. Yeah. And, uh, he's getting those still Spanish names. He had the history with the guys. It was good. Do you ever get annoyed when white people like suddenly throw on the accent when they're <laughs> pronouncing stuff? Uh, I, I kind of do. Like, I can't, I can't explain it, but like, I'm like, and this is not a, a knock at Walker. This is just in my general life. Like, like, say it white, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, it's bad when the, like, their accents look really bad. They can't, like, they're, they can't roll the R's. They're not saying it right. It's like. No, I, I admire that because they're trying their best. But I hate it when they get fancy with it. And But they're talking completely normal, complete English. And then they're like, Randa, you know, and I'm like, yeah. bro, you don't talk like that. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, now if it, it like it, just they're appropriating their language, you know, but well, all I can think about is the uh, <laughs> Stephanie McMahon meme is like when you say gracias to the waiter at a Mexican restaurant, she has that cheesy smile bro, on her face. <laughs> bro, no, no joke. Maybe I'm telling myself, but like one time we were at Kobe and my mom's well, my mom was like, gracias, like to the fucking to the chef and i'm like he's asian what the fuck what are you doing <laughs> oh man oh my god anyway so we got <sighs> fantastic mania action coming up um there's several shows that will not be aired but the first uh taped show that will be making air on february 16th night two we got tiger mask and de fuente taking on show and kenamaru Second match, Dark Panther and Hanma taking on Francesco Kira and Okamura. Third match of the night, Desperado and Brilliante Jr. versus Kamatachi and Tetsuya Naito. Fourth match of the night, Yo Tanahashi and Atlantis Jr. versus Musashi, Taguchi, and Hechicero. Fifth match of the night, Templario, Doki, Mystico versus Doki. Wait, why is Doki facing Doki? Uh, oops. Oh my god, what a botch. Botchamania. So Templario Mystico might be wrestling with or against Doki, and Soberano Jr. and Rocky Romero are on the opposite team, either with or without Doki. So something's happening here. Oh, hold, hold on, hold on here. Hold on, we pull it pull it do, up. Do we really need the correction? We, we got we gotta ha- we gotta have this accurate because somebody will correct correct this later. Uh so let's I say wrong shit on the show all the time, nobody corrects me. It's uh, Templario, Mascara Dorada, and Mystico against Doki, Soberano Jr., and Rocky Romero. Ah, and then the sixth match of the night, semi-main event, we have the Faction Tag Team Tournament opening round as Magnus and Volador Jr. taking on the team of Pegaso and Stigma. The winner of that match will go on to face the winner of the main event, which is Bushi and Teton versus Stuka Jr. and Ultimo Guerrero. Third night, we have uh, February 17th, and Jeremy, you want to run that down? Yeah, so we have, I'm not sure how you pronounce these correct, correctly, La 
Harashita and Yuvia will take on Stardom's Starlight Kid and Ruaka. Then- See, that's what I'm talking about. I appreciate you trying your best, but clearly <laughs> doing it wrong. But, you know, you're making the right effort. Uh, then we'll have uh, Naito, Suji, and Kamatachi taking on... Actually, Kojima's going to be out. They haven't updated that yet. Kojima has an injury. Uh, so some of it, I think Hanma replacing Kojima. So Hanma, Taguchi, and Defunto. Then Tanahashi, Atlantis Jr., Dark Panther, and Yo versus Hechicero, Okamura, Sho, and Kanemaru. Soberana Jr. and Brillante Jr. taking on Doki and Templario. Then we'll have Mystico, Mascara Dorada, and Francisco Akira versus Rocky Romero, El Desperado, and Tiger Mask. And then the semi-main event will be the third place playoff in the faction tag team tournament. So the two losers from the previous night will face off. And then the main event will be the winners of uh, those two matches facing off to determine the faction tag team tournament winner. February 18th, we've got night four from Cork and Hall. Tanahashi, whoever's replacing Kojima and Pegaso, will will take on Hanma, Tiger Mask, and Yo. Second match of the night, Naito, Suji, Kamaitachi, and Bushi taking on Sho, Kanemaru, Takahashi, and Magnus. Third match of the night, we have a challenge match between Teton and Brilliante Jr., Fourth match of the night, Atlantis Jr., Dark Panther, and Musashi versus Hechicero, Okamura, and Doki. Fifth match of the night, the Black Cat Memorial match as Mystico, Mascara Dorada, El Desperado, and Stigma take on the team of El uh, Ultimo Guerrero, Stuka Jr., Francesco Akira, and DeFuento. Semi-main event, Soberano Jr. versus Templario. And then your main event, Rocky Romero versus Volador Jr. Which should be great. Um, and then the last night of the tour, we'll have Taguchi, Brillante Jr., and Yo versus Francesco Kira, Pegaso, and Stigma. Then we'll have Naito, Teton, Kamatachi, and Bushi versus Sho, Kanamaro, Defunto, and Magnus. Dark Panther will take on Okamura. Atlantis Jr. will take on Hechicero. Then we'll have Tanahashi, Rocky Romero, Soberano Jr., and Tiger Mask against Volador, Templario, Desperado, and Musasi. Then semi-main event, we'll have Mystico versus Ultimo Guerrero. And then the main event will be Mascara Dorada taking on Stuka Jr. Yeah, and we've seen Mystico and Ultimo Guerrero. That That's a match that they've offered at the top of this tour many times in the past. Or a couple, I should say. Maybe maybe it's just once. I can't recall. But um, it, it is noteworthy that Mystico is not closing out the tour. They've got Mascara Dorada and Stuka Jr. in the main event of the biggest show of the tour. So that's pretty cool. Um, one thing I just realized, did they not have the the like VTR and the theme music at the beginning of this night show that we watched? Honestly, I don't remember. No, I don't think they did. Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm down on the tour. Because I'm like, where's the... Like, where is that? Mystical! Yeah, like, I love that shit. Anyway, so let's jump into the news. We got... uh Windy and also, by the way, like it's it's such a kick in the balls to have like all this time off and then suddenly four nights of Fantastic Mania back to back to back to back. Like, what are we doing? Why? <laughs> Anyways, uh, in the news, Windy City Riot, April twelfth in Chicago. Uh, they've announced a couple matches there where Eddie Kingston will be taking on Gabe Kidd in an eight man tag team match, and both uh, men will have three mystery partners in a riot rules match. So the match will have no DQ or count outs will be contested under tornado tag team rules. 
And as of this time, we don't know who their tag team partners are and they won't be known until they make their way to the ring. So um, I'm assuming both guys are going to bring in some heavy hitters probably. Right. Yeah. I would think. Yeah. Uh, they've also announced uh, the GOD 2.0 Tomohiro Ishii, Renarita and jungle boy, Jack Perry as a uh, new talents that are being announced for that show. I believe that uh, they did put more tickets on sale. Uh, they've done pretty well, but they haven't sold out the top end tickets like they did for the first two sales that they had. So um, we're going to be at that show. So um, I, I'm assuming we're probably going to do some sort of meetup or grab a drink or something while we're there. So we'll figure it out. But, um, you know, if, if you're in the area, you should probably go to that show. It's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, NJPW confirmed on Sunday that the IWGP World Heavyweight title will meet our champion will meet the IWGP junior heavyweight champion in a one-on-one match on March 6th at Otaward. Uh, the previous anniversary shows have had similar champion versus champion matches. The last one taking place in 2021 when Ibushi defeated El Desperado. So um, as of right now, if the champions remain the same, you're going to be looking at Naito versus Desperado, which I'm sure there's some people right now like <laughs> pissed off because they're, thinking like, why couldn't have Hiromu just held the title? We could have got the match we were promised pre-pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> um, NJPW Strong Resurgence. So, oh, it is. It's here. Yeah. Resurgence is a strong show. Uh, it's going to take place at the Toyota Arena in Ontario, California, May 11th. We had a question from the Discord daddy, MJ Does PR. He says, thoughts on Resurgence being in Ontario, California, a 10,000-seat arena. Will the Young Bucks be on this card? Uh, maybe, uh, but it's very interesting to see that, yeah, these New Japan Strong Children are starting to run in bigger buildings. I'll see great success so far for Trust for Windy City Riot. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully they have something up their sleeve here and they do a similar strategy of announcing uh, big matches uh, ahead of time and stars and maybe, you know, so they can push some tickets there. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit bearish on this uh strategy because like for instance they did the show in chicago and that's a great market and they announced a big match and it's the first time in a long time that they've done a real arena and because of the timing of it all i think there's a lot of things working in their favor to make people be like oh big building big show big marquee match i gotta be there but you don't, in my opinion, want to flood the market with too many of these, especially if it's not a strong market, especially if you don't have another marquee match on tap, and especially if it's too soon in proximity to the other big show that you did in the same, you know, in this country. Plus, um, Ontario, Canada is not necessarily like a hotbed market, you know, it's uh, not uh, really- Ontario, California. What did I say? Canada. Okay, my bad. Same shit. Ontario, <laughs> California isn't like a, a destination where like wrestling fans are gonna like go out in droves to 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 go there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't know that California is that strong of a market where people are gonna, you know, travel to Ontario, California for a big show like that. So I, I'm right now I'm bearish. Now if they turn around and announce something that is capable of selling out the show and, and and being a huge attraction, then sure. But I'm not confident they will. Like, I think that this is a, I don't know. I I'm always perplexed by their business decisions, to be honest with you. Um, (laughs) 
our good friend Rodger Romero now has an office job with AEW. So he's still going to be working with New Japan, but this has been, you know, announced. I, I'm a little bit like, why? But good on him for getting the bag. But at the same time, like, damn, like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> hey, man, Rocky is the real Rainmaker. This man's getting checks from New Japan, CMLL, AEW, MLW, four checks. In a strong style. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually our secret backer. He's been funding this shit all these years. Everybody knows. Um, due to an MCL injury, oh my god, is are they going to strip him of his world title? Uh, hey, it's just it's just a it's an MCL. He just needs some time all to recover. Right, right. He'll be fine. Due to an MCL injury, Satoshi Kojima has been pulled from um, more NJPW dates. Kojima will miss NJPW and CMLL's Fantastic Mania tour. Um, so he's off the entirety of the tour and it looks like Taguchi will be replacing him on the February 18th show and Hanma will be replacing him from the 12th to the 17th. Um, other excursion news. So orange Cassidy defeated Tomohiro Ishii this past Saturday on AEW collision. Um, there was an announcement for the first time ever, Daniel Makabe versus Zack Sabre jr. For prestige Roseland eight on April 14th in 2024. Well, of course, um, in Portland, Oregon at the Roseland Theater. Uh, if you guys never seen Daniel Makabe wrestle, he's one of my favorite, favorite indie wrestlers. So that's a match I'm definitely going to want to see. Um, Rev Pro Sunday, February 25th, Young Blood versus Sunshine Machine. So um, Young Blood, they're out there. They're 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 not just both on excursion, but they're a tag team on excursion together. So yeah, well, yeah. You, I mean, the last time we've seen it is probably what uh, showing you. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the MLW World Middleweight title is uh, being defended as Rocky Romero, the champion, uh, will defend against Mystico at MLW's Intimidation Games 24. Nice. So we'll go to some uh, last uh, few questions here and then recommended match of the week. So Diego says, Azarian said AEW will do a show in a stadium in the U.S., my guess is that it will be Forbidden Door. But if you have to book the stadium, what stadium would it be? My pick would be the L.A. Galaxy Stadium that has uh, twenty-seven thousand seats. I I don't know stadiums like that. Um, you know, they. It's not. I mean, Arthur Ashe is kind of a stadium, but at the same time, I don't know if people classify it as a stadium. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a it's a tennis open air stadium. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not the biggest like football or, you know, fan. So I don't know the venues like that. Um, I do wonder like if they couldn't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I guess I, I don't know where they should do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think forbidden door could make sense, especially uh, the, you're also adding the, the CMLL representation this year. So, um, having the three promotions come together to do a show um, in a stadium could be a kind of a cool vibe. Uh, where are they going to do it? I don't know. I mean, I get, I don't, I'm not really familiar with what the Galaxy Stadium is um, in L.A. Um, yeah, but if they are planning to do something that's New Japan and CMLL aligned, Los Angeles would make a lot of sense. Yeah, for, also, yeah. For both for both companies, because we know how how much New Japan like, you know, they they always it's they just got to cross the ocean and they're right there, and that's kind of 
been their MO. So I could see that actually being realistic, but I don't know. Part of me is like, I want to say like a stadium in Chicago. And I know that there's like Wrigley field and there's like soldier field, but you know, I don't know. Like I can't imagine right now them doing like a, a football stadium. I think that's too big. Yeah. That's why probably that he's saying LA galaxy. I'm assuming that's like a MLW, uh, not MLW, <laughs> MLS, like a, an MLS stadium. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. The soccer team. Um, Jace K 2002 says somebody might have asked us already, but with Ocasio wet front and center of your logo, will you be changing it? Nope. Maybe one day. Not right now. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're keeping Okada for now. We, we spend money on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we here, here's, here's what we will do. Y'all send us enough money to get the logo replaced and removed. We will change it, but we got to get new backdrops. We got to rebrand this shit cost money so send us some money also another thing i i do want to say this and i know it's at the end of the show but we have gotten some donations via red circle we can't tell who gives us those donations if you are somebody that is donating to the show via red circle please like shoot us an email or something let us know like if we don't have to shout you out on the show we will if you want us to but like it'd be nice to at least know who's giving us money <laughs> yeah so shout out to those yeah who, who are donating um, and the rest of you should because we can't get rid of okada unless just like how <laughs> okada left for the bag like we can't get rid of him unless we pay enough money we you know we spend money on this shit it costs yeah and uh when we uh finalize our, our streaming tests here <laughs> It'll We're doing one right now, and I think it's going okay. Yeah, the stream looks good. Uh, I think this is a few things we'll have to work on with just cropping some stuff in the back end. But I gotta figure out my setup. I'm I'm still working on it. Was, but it, it's looking good, much better than the first test we did a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think we're about we're about there. So there'll be another way that you can contribute uh, to the show when we and uh, trust. And it's entertaining, guys. You you have no idea. You you want to see this shit. We'll, we'll expose that Josh is not black. <laughs> they pay me mu- enough money, I'll expose some other stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Turn this shit into OnlyFans. Oh. <laughs> Hold on a minute, player. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, Whatever. You pay me enough money, uh, everybody's got a price. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? That might be a, a good strategy, actually. Now I think about it, why are we wasting time with red circle donations? Just you know, the, the ladies love young boy. Let's uh, let's capitalize off of that. I'm I know, sure. I know, I know a couple wrestlers that like are literally like doing OnlyFans. And when I say wrestlers, I don't mean like hot female wrestlers. I mean like kind of like ugly ass dudes. Where I'm like, bro, no one's no wants <laughs> to see this shit. Like, what are you doing? Isn't uh, Bad Dude Tito doing one? I wasn't talking about him specifically because um, Bad Dude Tito is a very attractive man. Um, but yeah, I did see that he was doing. I wasn't going to bring that up on there, but yeah, I did see he's doing OnlyFans, <laughs> yeah. which which tells me that they need to pay this dude so he doesn't have to do that shit unless right. he likes it. If he likes it, no judgments. I'm not going to shame him, but you know, this man should be headlining fucking shows, not. Doing you know streams on the only man. You know. <laughs> uh, last two questions here from Def Triangle Seven Twenty. 
Uh, what can New Japan do to attract bigger sponsors like AEW or WWE? Oh. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I'm not familiar with the companies that they work with, but it seems like they have a lot of sponsors. I don't. I, I'm worried about Bushi Road and them not being able to fucking make money on games and how that's resulting in us losing talent to AEW and, and <laughs> just getting fucked over. So yeah. how about, how about Bushi Road, like, figure their shit out when it comes to video games? How about that? Mm-hmm. His last question, if you had to book New Japan for March, what would you do? I'm not going to book the whole company. I'm not booking the company. I'm not doing it. Uh, I mean, March is New Japan Cup. Um, I was, I, I'd probably lean towards Zack Sabre winning again, um, putting the title on, having him beat Naito for the title of Secure Genesis. That's probably what, what I would do. Nice. So that wraps up the questions. Recommended match of the week, I believe, when we left off, we recommended... Uh, so you had recommended to me to watch Brian Danielson versus Yuji Nagata from the January 27th episode of AEW Collision. And I had recommended the January 14th match between Josh Alexander and Will Ospreay from TNA Impact episode 1017 gotcha so what do you think about uh nagata danielson so i watched that once and was distracted and was not super impressed and i was like i need to rewatch this i didn't pay attention so i watched it again today and i really loved it i thought this was it, it it's not a match where i'd be like this was a match of the year contender or anything like that but for what it was, which was a really, really cool, really awesome, psych, like old school psychology filled television match. This was an excellent, excellent television match. Um, they they told a great story, like Nagata being the old master and you know just kind of fucking up uh, uh, Brian Danielson's arm, especially since he'd already had the injury, kind of going back. Plus the fact that. You know, Nagata has all of these arm-focused uh, submission maneuvers. And then, um, you know, Danielson just being a very giving performer. We've seen in several of these matches recently where, like, he beats the guys, but he makes them look like a million bucks. He made Nagata, who is, you know, admittedly great, but he really, like, let Nagata shine in this match. and Very hard-hitting. Um, just a an old school psychology remind me of like a lot of per, like nineties per resume matches and both guys working different body parts and, you know, striking each other hard. And then ultimately at the end, like Danson hits him with the Baisaku knee and, and, you know, beats him one, two, three, um, Nigel McGuinness being the, the biggest hater <laughs> ever on commentary. Oh, uh, oh, clam digger Danielson. <laughs> yeah. He's like, like, this man Nagata's actually had MMA fights. The closest thing that <laughs> Danielson's ever had to MMA fight is getting his hair, hair braided. braided yeah. <laughs> and then at one point he got put in the Nagata lock and Danielson had to uh, escape for the ropes. And he was like the real greatest technical wrestler in the world wouldn't have to escape via rope break. He's <laughs> like, they would have reversed it. <laughs> so yeah, it was a great match. Um, very, very fun. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely say, like, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I, I don't think it's a high-end, like, excursion match of the year contender, but it, 
for what it was, it was, you know, a nice TV match. It wasn't really set up. It wasn't even the main event of that night's show. Right. Yeah. It was a, a match out that kind of helped Brian get ready for the Saber match. Yep. Correct. Yeah, so good stuff. Uh, yeah, I watched it today, too. Uh, yeah, it was really, really good TV match. And then another match, which is also a TV match, but this was not a TV match in the same way that that was a TV match. Like, Josh Alexander versus Will Ospreay, the rematch. Like, honestly, I'll be honest. I watched the match they had last year, and we had put it on the excursion list, but I hadn't seen it when we did that. And after I watched it, I was kind of regretting. I was like, it's really good, but it was probably, in my opinion, not deserving to be on that list. It was like very, it was close to being cut in general, but yeah. like, I was like, ah, it's really good, but it's probably, it probably shouldn't be there. This match blew that match away and it built upon it in, in so many ways. And it was everything that I thought the first match could have been and more. And I think it's, got a real arguable it might be the best singles match in tna history yeah it definitely will be up there it was really really great and like you mentioned they built up callbacks from the first match and also you know wills always wanted to wrestle in tna that's what he you know kind of watched growing up so you know he was pulling out some like aj style stuff as well and it was almost like a kind of a aj styles kind of kurt angle style yep. matchup in a way uh, similar some of the spots and similar style so uh yeah this was a really really great match yeah they, they work together like at such a, a high level and the reversals and uh they did it there was an incredible table spot then they let the match continue and they they went they like really really went and i know it wasn't worked in front of a live television audience like this was taped but like basically they did a pay-per-view main style main event and then just aired it on television. So, I mean, anybody that, if you haven't seen that show, it's, it's actually available. The match is available for free on YouTube. So there's no reason if you haven't seen it, that you shouldn't see it. But like, I also think they, they've uploaded it to NJPW world. I think also. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. It, it, it's probably in better quality on YouTube, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it, it was just, it was outstanding. It really, really was. And then um, Josh Alexander picked up the one, two, three. He needed the win in storyline because he hadn't really lost like back-to-back losses like he just recently had um, in years. And like a third, you know, definitive loss to uh, Osprey would have just been disastrous for his character and his career. And so, like again, here's Osprey doing business on the way out. You know. I hear people say like this doesn't happen that people don't don't put people over on the way out anymore. But like this man's going out of his way to lose big matches in the companies, and we know that he's about to go to Rev Pro and lose to fucking uh, Oku. Yeah, to Michael Oku. Um, Dave went five and a five and a half on this. I don't think I'm five and a half on it, <laughs> but I, but I'm easy four and a half, and I think it's an easy. Um, early consideration for excursion match of the year. Yeah, I'm four and a half also. Yeah, like just incredible. And you you really need to see it. And, you know, I don't want the show to go too much longer, so I'm not going <laughs> to do a full recap on the match. But I'm telling you, 
you need to see Josh Alexander versus Will Ospreay too. It, it's it's outstanding. Yes. I liked it a lot better, a lot better than Will Ospreay's match with uh with um Mike Bailey from the year prior. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Actually, do you have a uh, recommended match for us for this week? Yeah, you know what? Uh, let's do the Rev Pro match from a couple months back between Will Ospreay and Gabe Kidd. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that match. Yeah, that'll be good. Uh, Gotta watch this shit. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything, so I guess we'll just do that uh, for now, and then we'll come back next week and review that. So that's going to wrap the show up for us here this week. Uh, next week, we'll be back to review Fantastica Mania and do our predictions for New Beginning in Sapporo. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping the Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media on X. You can follow us at KI Strong Style, at Social Suplex, and at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, follow us at facebook.com slash suplex and the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can join our social suplex Discord server to interact with us and other wrestling fans. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Summerwitz. Imps WWE Adventure with the Implications of Matthew Mayer. Wrestling Art with Chris Things. Tunnel Talk with Allie and Leah. And the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.